This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Transition from the other side of Midnight Crew, all the brothers and sisters uh, who work overnight with yours truly, and now to the Mick Whitey White crew of Frank Morano. Who, by the way, uh, will be away all week. We'll discuss that when I uh, take the reins from one to five, not just after Dominic Carter when he comes on tonight at 12, but for the rest of the week. Because even though we're into my normal Quinella, which is the fifth part of the many different shows that I do here at WABC, where the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, I had an opportunity to sort through what were clearly acts of potential sabotage engineered by you, Matt Blaze. Matt Blaze, the board operator for the Frank Morano uh, Other Side of Midnight. Uh, nobody believes that your last name is Blaze. Let me get that straight to you. They know it's an alias, and they probably figure you're a modern-day fugitive on the lam. One of the many associates of Frank Morano. That's why he has the racket report. We're going to dissect and bisect that in the wee hours of the morning. But uh, I used uh, my board operator, who came out of retirement from WCBS-FM uh, Broadway, Bill Lee. To test out the components on the board that you left, you uh, definitely left the disquantificator in a different position. The convector was not connected to our FM station, WLIR, in the east end of Long Island. And the capacitators were not functioning on our Tower of Power on Lodi, New Jersey, right uh Hello, where Bada Bing exists, where our chief engineer is constantly getting brumskis and lap dances and can easily be fooled. And the demodulator had to be reconnected. And it took us an entire hour of our broadcast Saturday morning going from 12 midnight to 6. So uh, clear the decks, swab the poop deck. It's a whole brand new set of rules and regulations that we are imposing on you, Matt Blaze, and naturally the flunky, the lackey, the brown nose of the crew, the producer, Alex, who's already somehow communicating with Frank Morano, like, oh, he's making all these changes. Look at what he's doing here. Oh, my God. 
Couldn't you get any of the 72 different suggestions that you had for replacements for yourself? And the answer is no. Because if you leave an inch of real estate here at WABC, I'm like a Pac-Man. I just come. (laughs) But right now, this is the normalcy of the Curtis Lee Show. If you can actually describe it as being normal. But people are saying right now, why are you playing Paul McCartney? You hate Paul. Yes, I do. Even when he became 80 years old and he had that concert three hours over at MetLife. And Springsteen, yeah, the working class hero not, came on stage along with Bon Jovi. I said, don't be fooled. It's all about the scatol, the moolah moolah. And look, look at what the boss has done to all of you. $5,000 tickets, $1,000 tickets. Hey, Bruce, I thought you were the working class hero from Freehold, right? Instead, you're a one percenter from Rumson. And all of a sudden, Stevie Van Sant, you know, Schmata head boy from the Sopranos and East Street Band said, don't ask me any questions. This is all about capitalism, capitalism. Yeah, and meantime, your many fans are gripped by this Biden recession. Yes, that's right, Biden. It is a recession. And by the way, he has been diagnosed as having COVID-19 again. Perfect excuse to keep him in the Keep him in the basement there at his beachfront uh, home in Delaware, you know, out of sight, out of mind, like they did in the uh, in the actual campaign against then President Donald Trump. They figure keep him in the basement. He can't do as much harm as when he's doing a daily press conference, and then the White House staff has to walk him back because he can't even read the teleprompter. Oh no, 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 no! Reason I'm playing Paul McCartney is because he sang a song that is special. For the woman of my life. No, not my beautiful Nancy. No, not the animal rescuer bar. A nun who will be joining us in the uh, 11 o'clock hour, the annual animal welfare hour, in which it derives more calls, more pleas for help for our animal community. And there's more interest in that hour than any of the all the other hours that I do here in combined, which is about like 25, 26, 28 hours now, which will give me an opportunity to become the ratings leader and supersede the Mama Luke Frank Morano. We'll get into all of that later. But the reason I have turned this Paul McCartney classic into a theme song is for the professional booster, shoplifter, none better, Michelle McKelly. As you know, it has led to many, many appearances uh, for me on the Jesse Waters Show on Fox News because every time she gets jammed up more than ten times, Jesse sends out the guardian angel symbol, said, Hey, you know Michelle McKelly. You know most of these people who shoplift, most of these people who are boosters, most of these people who put on their LinkedIn profile that they are professional thieves. And in fact, this goes back to Charles Dickens. They say you can trace the roots to jolly old England when all of a sudden Charles Dickens would write about Fagins. Uh, no this on any Jewish people out there. That's the character he created, and I'm not going to rewrite it and not write it out of the script. The Fagin-like character who would train young men and young women to suddenly have Velcro on their mitts... And they would be a nemesis to the many shopkeepers in the U.K. and Cardiff in Wales, Glasgow in Scotland, and, yes, a number of locations throughout the English Empire. But now we come back to terra firma. I have bad news for all of you here listening at WABC. Michelle 
McKelly, Michelle Maybell, has violated her cardinal rule. Generally, what she does is she enters a Dwayne Reed, a CBS, a Walgreens. She loves Target, loves Target, uh, and uh, Old Navy. Now, she has been banned for life in perpetuity from uh, Bamberger's. Now, there is no more Bamberger's. <laughs> See, a lot of you, I remember, isn't that where the first of the gamblings uh, were broadcasting from Newark on Broad and Market? Yes. Yes, you win a Curtis and Sleeper Booby Prize. Well, I win that prize. But the original gambling actually did broadcast from Bamberger's, a huge retail establishment on Broad and Market Street many, many years ago, while we were broadcasting from WJZ. That's right. That was the birth of talk radio in our greater tri-state area. It wasn't New York City. No, 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 no. It was Newark, and then everybody fled, right? We fled, became WABC. They fled, WOR, Women's Only Radio, and Gambling 2, 3, and more, I think, uh, continued to broadcast from a facility somewhere here in the city of New York. But you see, Michelle McKelly, professional booster, professional shoplifter, was always cool, calm, and collected. She would have her liquid Prozac before she would go out and go to work, as she said, like Donna Summers. You know, she works hard for her money. And she would walk in to a Target. She would walk into Old Navy. She couldn't walk into Saks, banned in perpetuity. Could not walk into some of the other high, uh, highfalutin uh, department stores because they had a photo of Michelle in each of these establishments, they had done photo resonation and they had her profile. She couldn't even walk through the doors. It's like if you were counting cards, Matt Blaze, with Frank Morano at the Borgata, where he'd be losing his uh, BBDs and Fruit of the Looms while shooting craps. Let's say you were at the uh, blackjack table. If they caught you counting cards, immediately they would photograph you and they would share that with casinos all the way to Macau. Steve wins casinos in Macau, the old Portuguese colony that is now part of Red China, their China, not our China, Taiwan, a.k.a. Formosa, where we expect Pelosi to be visiting any minute, right? You like that? That was a mouthful, right? Photo resonation. Photo identification. So Matt Blaze would be banned in perpetuity from every casino. But if you're a shoplifter, if you're a booster... You don't get banned in perpetuity. So you figure, you know, like if you had your card, your reduction card, you go to Dwayne Reed. It might also work for Walgreens. You press your number in, right? You get a reduction because they share. They share. But they don't share the photos to say, no, no, you were banned from Dwayne Reed. So now you're banned from CVS, banned from Walgreens, and banned from mom and pop shops. They don't do that. They don't use the photo recognition technology that the NYPD has that we paid millions of dollars for, and it hasn't been used. It was um, actually commented upon by the old lapdog commissioner of the uh, Missing in Action, uh, Bill de Blasio. Uh, Dermot Shea said, we have photo recognition technology, but we're not permitted to use it by the mayor at that time. Bill de Blasio, and it has continued on with that missing in action police commissioner, Sewell. When's the last time anybody has seen her? Hey, anybody seen Sewell, the police commissioner? Maquanamai. She's a figurehead. It's really Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan. Everything has to go through him. He is anal. He is compulsive. He's got to control and this, all the dissemination of information, and as a result, nothing gets done in the police department. 
Photo recognition technology, we spent millions on that. It is the best science. It prevents the wrong people from getting arrested for the crime charged. We've always had a history sometimes of the wrong people getting picked up and charged and incarcerated, and then we find out many years later, based on DNA technology or other witnesses who come forward, that you grabbed the wrong guy, you grabbed the wrong gal, and they were unjustly incarcerated. But now with photo recognition technology, little of that can take place. But the NYPD refuses to use it. Some, though, of the corporate, the corporate Fortune 500 companies do. And I'm suggesting that this is what they do with Michelle McKelly and the other professional boosters and shoplifters. Well, she got jammed up in Harlem over the weekend on West 125th Street in Lenox Avenue on Friday night. She walked in. She said to the cashier, as she always says, uh, pleasing, pleasing, and politely, uh, I am here for my uh, Alvin Bragg swag bag. I promise I will only loot. I will not shoot. I have never been physical before. If you have a store detective or a security officer and they put their hands on me, I will, I will allow you to hold me for the police department for the 25th, 28th precinct, whichever precinct is in that proximity. For some strange reason, she decided to stand and fight. This was her high noon. She wasn't taking it any longer. Probably had a bad hair day. And she was swinging and winging with the cops. Again, no nightstick because they could have given her a wooden shampoo. They didn't. But I hearken you back to a better day for Michelle McKelly when she was being released from central booking after being arraigned and released again and again and again because Alvin Bragg will not in any way, shape, or form hold you over for incarceration because of no cash bail and the fact that if you have stolen items worth less than $1,000 in retail, you walk, you get a disappearance ticket. Notice Michelle. She was cool, calm, collected. Notice, listen to her composure. I went to Bloomingdale's. Okay. Bloomingdale's and I stole. Um, I took, I, I professionally, I professionally obscured some, some, some items consisting of polo and um, Ralph Lauren. You got a pretty nice shirt on. Did you steal that shirt? Did I obscure this shirt? I sure did obscure this shirt. Will you steal even now that you're out on supervised release? I have to in your outfit. So you're going to go steal it? So I have to go work. Work is stealing. I don't call it stealing. I call it professional. I'm a professional booster. I call it stealing here at WABC, especially when Alex, the brown-nosed producer for Frank Morano and you, Matt Blaze, steal from us by creating all these impediments for me, who will be substituting for Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, all week long, huh? I'll get you if it's the last thing I do. By the way, as I look at today's New York Post, what is on the front page? A can of spam. A can of spam. You say, has Biden's uh, inflation gotten so bad, his recession, that we are relegated to having eat uh, eat spam? You know, a little spam with uh, little scrambled eggs. I'm sure, Matt, when you've been on the run as a fugitive, you had to settle for that. Or the Vienna sausages, you know, or the armor meat spread when you crack that can. Oh, the smell. And you put it on a few saltine crackers because you're short on chump change. And, you know, you just need something in your stomach to hold you over. Well, guess what? You're not going to find it in Dwayne Reed anymore. They're keeping the, the spam under lock and key. The armor meat spread, which is like 
79 cents is under lock and key. And those most desired Vienna sausages. Oh, my God, if you can't afford a poor boy, if you can't afford the big sausages that they sell with the dirty water hot dogs, my God, you got to settle on those Vienna sausages. You know, you put the little toothpick in there and, oh, you get a little slab of mustard. And, man, that's like, man, that's like high dining, right? Especially when you got no money. Well, if you're going to go into Dwayne Reed, CBS, or Walgreens now, you can't take it off the counter anymore. No, 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 no. Not off the shelves. You have to summon one of the workers there, whether it's the cashier. You know how they always say, uh, at sales, we need somebody up front here to assist our customers, 24 of them who need the key, so they can get their basic items. Toothpaste, mouthwash. You know, it's got alcohol in there, so everyone who's uh, uh, ginned out, they drink Lavoris. That's right, Sterno. You were, Why are you locking up Sterno behind plastic shields? Because they have Sterno bums. They actually melt the Sterno into a liquid and they drink it. Shoe polish. Yes, you can't get a canister of Esquire or Kiwi shoe polish because they melt it for the alcohol content, and then they drink it. And as Al Slim Shady Sharpton told, Coffee Joe and Mika one morning on MSNBC. Let me tell my friend, Eric. Eric, I went to a Dwayne Reed. I tried to get Colgate toothpaste. They had to unlock it in the back of the store. And now it has come to this. The few tourists who actually exist in the Times Square area were going over to that Dwayne Reed by the Port Authority. And they were saying, you're kidding. There's nothing in this Dwayne Reed that we can actually put our hands on. It's all in these little plastic cubes that you need a key to unlock in order to get Vienna sausages, armor meat spread, and the traditional spam. When all else fails and you're down on your luck, right, and that you got that last dollar in your pocket and you're a hobo, hey, just think of it. This inflation is skyrocketing. You know, Biden, who is now in the basement hiding out again, supposedly with COVID-19, hiding out there with his German shepherd commander, you know, looking like he's the president, he's in charge. No, he's not. Uh, when all else failed, what would the hobos do riding the rails in the middle of the Depression? What they considered a gourmet meal is if they could have a slice of Spam with an egg, an egg that they took from under a hen who had just hatched it. You bring that back for the hobo stew, and all the hobos would say, man, this is better than filet mignon, right? Spam! You can't even walk in and buy a can of Spam at uh uh, please, uh, I need an attendant. you got to wait there 20 minutes for a freaking can of Spam. And nobody seems to have a problem with that in our city. No, 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 no. Eric Adams, the swagger man, he has no plan. Uh, yeah, it's all because of uh, no cash mail. No, it's not. These are dope fiends who want to get their crack, their meth, their K2. It has nothing to do with no cash mail. Not these shoplifters. That I feel for Michelle McKelly. What is the over-under point spread? Uh, likely that I'll get a call from Jesse Waters tomorrow to appear on the Fox News Channel show now that she's been busted. 
again, and this time she may not see the light of day for a few years because why? You know why? She was watching that video like everybody else at 125th Street. It was a Saturday morning. This thug, 16-year-old hardcore thug, and his thug-ed girlfriend decided they weren't going to pay the fare. They were going to jump over the turnstiles in front of two uniformed New York City police officers, two African-Americans, one male, one female, for the purposes of description. I don't want to go through he, she, they, you know, the pronouns, so let's just cut to the chase. The XX cop and the XY cop, and they were guarding the turnstile. But the thug and the thug had said, F you, we ain't paying the fare. And then all of a sudden you saw the fight, right? You saw the fight. It went viral. And all of a sudden Alvin Bragg decided, I'm siding with the criminal again. F you, police. I'm cutting this thug and thug at loose. And then we find out, wait a second, there were multiple arrests this thug. Just a few months ago, 75th Precinct in the news as the number one crime precinct in the city. We'll get to that momentarily. He gets caught with a loaded 9mm. Guess what? Eric Gonzalez, the DA in Brooklyn, he never, he never incarcerates first-time gun collars. He sends them to diversion. Please, Doug, don't do it anymore. Please, pretty please, please. Okay, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll leave Brooklyn. And he did. And he came to Park Avenue in Manhattan and went with his homies. They put their Timberland boots to the back of a 42-year-old guy, beat the living daylights out of him, and stripped him like a carcass in the Mojave Desert of everything of value. So now he comes into Manhattan, criminal court, 100 Center Street, and there's an ADA from Alvin Bragg's office saying, Wow, first time in Manhattan, huh? I see. Wow, you got quite a jacket here from Brooklyn. Yeah, but I promised I wouldn't do it again in Brooklyn. So I came to Manhattan. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't do it again, we'll cut you loose. And they cut him loose a second time. And then you saw the beatdown of the cop. And they cut him loose a third time. So he is not three strikes and you're out, right? Three strikes, you're out. You know, okay, that's it. We're putting you away for a long, long time. No. Three times, and he's a hero in the hood. He's out in Rockwell. You know how many blocks he's away from Sid Rosenberg? I told Sid Rosenberg the other day he had a heart attack. He said, time to move. He's ten blocks away at the St. John's Boys' Home, under curfew, 6 o'clock. They just had a guy robbed at gunpoint who matched his description on the A train at 96th Street, one stop from 116th Street. You think it's him? It's in his blood. It's in his DNA, right? I mean, what would you do, right? They didn't arrest you the first time and hold you. They didn't arrest you the second time. and You beat the hell out of a cop on national TV, and now you're a hero in the hood. You think you're invincible. So you went back and you got that nine that Eric Gonzalez never took away from you in the 75th precinct. You started riding the A-train, and all of a sudden, nobody will answer my calls. I said... Was was he in the St. John's Boy home at that time of that armed robbery on the A-train? Come on, tell me. Uh, we can't reveal those details to you, Mr. Slewa. Remember, he's a juvenile delinquent. Oh, I mean, a juvenile, and he's under our care. And that that has to remain anonymous. No, 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 he's not. No, I'm sorry. We're paying for that. We're paying for his three hots in a cot. We're paying for his shower. We're paying for his BVD. We're paying... For the grease that he puts in his hair, because he saw you, it was grease down here. As he was smiling at the camera saying in his hoodie, I got it like that. I'm a hero in the hood. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What does it come? You're a hillbilly tourist. You were pounding the hound or you got off the Peter Pan bus at the Port Authority and you were dreaming about having a can of Spam, you know. God, you came from the Appalachians. You came down from the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, Bill Clinton land, right? And you were dreaming of that Spam. It's like Spam is like filet mignon to hillbillies. Little eggs on the side. Well, get me a can of Spam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my heater, you know, in my Motel 6, my Super 8. You know, no tell motel, Holiday Inn Express, it ain't. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have a meal for a king and queen. Spamming eggs. Uh sir, I'm sorry, we have to get an attendant. We need to find the key. The key seems to be lost. Um you think maybe you could find spam at another store? I've already tried three other stores and they can't seem to find their key either. I lust for spam. Vienna sausages and armor meat spread. The most vile, despicable food that mankind has ever created. But when you're desperate, when your belly is growling, when you got those saltine crackers and you take your finger and you dip it into that armor meat spread. Yeah, I've been down that road barnstorming the country like a hobo. And you spread it on there and you hold your nose like you're in Staten Island, where all the skunks are running around and they're spritzing people. And then you have a taste and you say, why did I do that? Am I a masochist? I should have let my belly growl. I should have gone dumpster diving. No, I should have gotten off the Greyhound or the Peter Pan bus and say, I am an illegal American. Give me all the benefits. I'm here from Guadalajara. I'm here from TJ. I'm here from Calexico. Underly, underly, underly. Where is Papa Chulo? Joe Biden, he invited me to America. He said I can have all the benefits that Americans don't get, plus my Obama phone. Where is my Obama phone? Now, the illegal alien, he'll get spam and eggs, you know, in a hotel. Yeah, they're putting them up in hotels. Think of that. You're a homeless guy in New York City. You're in one of these shelters with cockroaches. Guys with smelly feet snoring up the place. God only knows monkey pox, everything else. And you're watching these illegal aliens come in from Venezuela, from Guatemala, Honduras, from Nigeria, from Kenya. And they're coming in all the way from D.C. And they have in their hands papers. Paper. No, 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 not identification papers. Can't ask him. Matt Blaze, do not ask them their identification. It's a violation of their rights. But they have papers that were given to them at the border that tells them exactly where to go to in New York City. And here's Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, saying, You, Ducey in Arizona, you Abbott in Texas, you're despicable, you're cowards. Keep those Ill- illegal aliens in your state. Why the hell would you want to stay in Texas or Arizona? It's 125 degrees in the shade. Where do you want to come? Times Square, New York, you saw their weed wagons. People are selling nickel and dime bags. People give you money. You can put it on one of those costumes of those superheroes, those comic cartoon characters, and people will actually give you money so you don't touch them. This is America. And, you know, they all live in Paramus. They're all illegal aliens who are in those costumes, and half of them are pervs. You know, they say, you can have a picture here. By the way, do you speak English? No hable Espan, no hable English, no hable English. Meantime, they're grabbing, they're copping the field. Ah! What did you do? Why are they there? 
They're not licensed. They haven't registered. They're just collecting money. This is the great American ripoff. And who's paying for all of this? We are. <sighs> Let's go to Alex. Uh, Alex, are you calling from, uh, wait a second, is this the Irish Riviera Pearl River in Rockland County along the Hudson River, Alex? This this guy ain't Irish. What are you? No Irish for me. I just got one question for you. What the heck is spam? If you don't know what spam is? No clue, man. Alex, what kind of an American are you? There's mom... Actually, I'm Irish. I understand that, but you're used to eating bad food, bangers and mash. I mean, when you're Irish, you drink and you eat bad food. Everybody knows that. The English are worse. Proper 12. Proper 12 from Conor McGregor. Oh, here we go now. You cop. Hey, what are you going to talk Gaelic to me? What are you going to do? Punch my nose down my throat? See this? Oh, like an aunt. See this? Yeah, I should, let me leave this station now. Let me take care of this guy, huh? You don't, you don't freaking know what spam is? Really, Alex? Kind of an American aunt. Think he's had a few too many? You know, I think he's a little frustrated. He didn't get the mega millions. He was chasing chasing those leprechauns for the pot of gold. You know, he had a shillelagh. I think he hit himself in the head with a shillelagh. You don't know what spam is? Mom, apple pie, the flag, and spam. When our boys went over there, the doughboys, to fight there in the trenches against the Huns. That's right, I said the Huns. What were they surviving on? My grandfather, Anton Sliwa. They recruited him for the cavalry because they thought all Polish guys could ride horses. He said, I never rode a horse in my life. You're lying. You're lying, Anton Sliwa. You're in the United States Cavalry. So he went all the way over to France. They put him on a trusty steed like the RCMP Dudley Do-Right. He fell off the steed. He broke his shoulder. Like, I broke my shoulder playing softball. We'll get to that later on at the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game with the ringers from the NYPD on loan from Sing Sing, the prison softball team. But anyway, he falls down, he breaks his shoulder, and the sergeant goes, I guess you weren't lying. Here is your rifle. Get into the trenches, and here's a can of spam, and you got to survive on this for a freaking month while you get mustard gas poisoning and trench wood. And isn't it great to be an American? My grandfather Anton said, I, I think so. What's he asked the question, what is spam? Coming from Poland, right? From Limanova on the Czechoslovakian border. I understand. If you were an immigrant, you had no idea what spam is. But what kind of a righteous soul? Rock ribbed all American doesn't know what spam is. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Oh, you know, about 72 different gender identifications. You know that at any moment you can requantify what sexuality you have. You know all that. But we have deprived our nation of young, much minds of the basic information of survival. You know, Eric Adams, he had that PSA the other day, you know, from the Department uh, of Emergency Services. It talked about, you know, they might drop the big one because of the invasion of the Ukraine. And I said... uh, Eric, you talked about putting together a swag bag of survival. You have a can of spam in there. It's a, it's the only thing that can withstand a nuclear blast and still be edible, if you call that edible. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. On the streets of the Bronx is where I want to be. No, you don't. You do not want to be in the streets of the Bronx. Standing on the corner, singing good old harmony. You do that, you'll be a victim of a drive-by shooting. Too much, two scales on a motorcycle. See, so long ago, 1995, cool change. Part of the great music, part of the great movie, Bronx Tale, Chaz Palminteri, Robert De Niro, and uh, who is the actor who killed the cop, huh, for a Curtis Lee Booby Prize? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But you do not want to be hanging out in the Bronx. You do not want to be doing doo-wop and acapella on a corner now with all the drive-by shootings. There was a guy on 187th Street, right? 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Guys roll up, bang, bang, in the head, bleeds out right on the corner. Hey, does anybody know this guy? What guy? I don't see any guy there. Did you hear any shots? What shots? Are you kidding? The guy got shot. We're looking at the video. You were five feet away. Really? I must have been confused. I must have been distracted. You see, in that part of the Bronx, not far from where I started the Guardian Angels in 1979, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. And have you noticed all these shootouts with young thugs on city bikes? You notice that in the videos? You think they rented the city bike? You think the guy said, you know, I got my nine here. We're going to go do a drive-by. You know, we're low budget. We don't have a motorcycle. You know, we don't have a little uh, Vespa, none of that. We're going to do it on a city bike. But we're going to pay for it. You have a debit card? No, no. Do you have a debit No, all I got is... uh I got a snap card, you know, for food stamps, but I don't think the city bike, uh, you know, meter's going to take that. So they steal it. And they commit crime on city bikes. Hasn't anybody made those connections yet? Oh, wait a second. We got Monty here from Manhasset. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Monty. Spam, 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 beautiful spam. And don't forget to read the Janine Machine by Richard. Uh, that was from Monty Python. See, Monty Python knew what spam is. But not our first caller from the Irish Riviera, Pearl River. I think, I guess, a few too many beers, a few too many brewskis. A little knocking back that Jameson. What is spam? Anyway, let's go to Doug, who's calling from Nassau County. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Doug. Yes, Curtis, you're in very rare form tonight. I am laughing my head off. Well, you know, I have a separated shoulder, so I got to keep moving my mouth because the pain is intense. Yeah. Well, try some relieffactor.com. It works for me. 
But that's beside the point. I was going to say, just like the other guy, you uh, tell your producer to put on the uh, spam sketch from the Monty Python's uh, Flying Circus uh, uh, Doug, TV show. Doug, if this were my crew, you know, the brothers, we'd have it already. This is the yeah, Frank yeah. Morano crew. These are slugs. These are Nordwells, deadbeats, slackers. They're like Monty Hall, Monty Python. Yeah. What's that? They don't even know yeah. Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. Go one, yeah. two, or three. You're asking, you're asking, you got to get those Doug, guys. Doug, you're asking yeah. a lot here. You know, this is not the Mensa crew here. We're talking special ed. <laughs> I agree. Send the BOCES. Make a man out of them or something like that. No, know? no, that's true. Look, i got to smack them up. You know, i got to uh, knock I the agree. manhood right into them. Yes, yes. You keep up the great work, brother. I'm on your side. Thank Best you. wishes to you. Hang in there. Thank Bye. you. I appreciate that. He knows. It was my crew, right, with Broadway Bill Lee on loan to us from WCBS-FM, that iconic figure, and Avery. Uh, we would have had that. It would have been up there. We would have played that. This guy, your guy, the Alex, he's... Monty Hall, let's make a deal. Doors one, two, or three. No! Monty Python, you schmuck! Let's go to Joseph, who's calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joseph. Curtis, how are you? I've had better days. I have a dislocated shoulder. How, how do you think I am, Giuseppe? Uh, hope you took a couple of Advil liquid gel. Yeah, I think I need something a little stronger than Advil. Maybe uh, you needed what the spam guy had. Oh, well, no, we're not going that far, okay, Giuseppe. We're not going that far. I'm not a dope fiend, but go ahead, Giuseppe. <laughs> uh, Curtis, no, I'm, I'm the libertarian candidate in CD11 in New Jersey, and I really respect your views on crime and about how we're more worried about offending the criminals than we are keeping people safe. And I think that you, you bring up a lot of good points about us protecting people. You yes, know, well, well uh, I, I will tell you this, though. It is interesting. It was the libertarians long ago had me as a keynote speaker in Sacramento, California. Yeah, believe it or not, me, zero tolerance. You smoking a dube, I'll punch your nose right now. Nah, nah, nah. Curtis, there's a better way. We sat down. You know, they hit their bong, and I uh, tried to cut through the smoke, you know, with a with one of those, uh, one of those uh, blast furnaces. Because, you know, they were blazing away. Well, hold on. <sighs> You gonna talk or you gonna smoke? Libertarians, yeah, libertarians. You know who's the uh, greatest libertarian of all time? Never got his due credit. It was Barry Goldwater ran for the presidency in '64. He was not a hardcore uh, conservative ideologue in that sense. He wasn't a holy roller. He was a libertarian, and he was maligned, and he was really the Democrats. Uh, were disingenuous in the way they portrayed him as if he was going to drop the nuclear bomb. If you elected Barry Goldwater against LBJ, right? Who got us? How deep into Vietnam? How many men came back in body bags because of LBJ and that fake, phony, fraudulent Tonkin resolution that never happened? And they were worried about Barry Goldwater in Arizona. Born a Jew, but had uh, suddenly decided, I'm not Jewish anymore. You know, that bam. By the way, uh, for Curtis Lee, a booby prize, who was the vice presidential candidate of Barry Goldwater? Nominated at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, where the San Francisco Warriors used to play. Rick Barry, Nate Thurman, and, of course, Wilt the Still Chamberlain. 
It was the convention. It was uh, John Wayne who gave the nominating address. People were, like, very impressed. And who gave the secondary nominating speech for Barry Goldwater? The actor Ronald Reagan, who had plans on running for the governorship of the state of California. They, too, tried to malign Ronald Reagan by saying, you don't want to give him the nuclear football. He'll blow up the world. And Barry Goldwater got slaughtered in that election. To LBJ, right, with those big Dumbo ears. LBJ, who would drop the N-bomb every five seconds, but, oh, the civil, civil, civil rights hero. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to James in Massmith, Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, James. Hey, Curtis. So what's going on, man? Yeah, the answer to the movie prize is Alito Bracado. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Do you remember the circumstances of how he ended up killing that police officer? Real. This is in real life, not in the movies. Yes, he got caught with a couple of guys, his friends. They were breaking, uh, they were doing a robbery and in somebody's apartment, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And then the, the cops came, and he and unfortunately he shot the cop. That is correct. And you say to yourself, the guy was on the incline to potentially becoming one of the many stars in Hollywood. Uh, obviously, being a pillhead that he turned out to be, that would have actually helped him in Hollywood. But he ended up killing a cop as a result. And his career, even though he did some time, should have done more time than he did, uh, it's no, he's never recovered. Never recovered, James. What a waste. Because the kid he, had he, talent. He was a great actor. He played. He was great in My Cousin Vinny. You know, it was a shame that his career went down the drain. He was a great actor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, James. And you're not going to want to miss the racket report later. Oh, when we do the Frank Morano show. <laughs> my quantum my. What is this? The racket report, Frank Morano. Right. I'm going to straighten out everybody on some of the disinformation that he's been spreading like Fluffernutter on a slice of silver cup bread. Remember, you'd have a little bit of Fluffernutter and you'd put it, you'd want to get it all on that slice of silver cup bread so you'd spread it thin. We're going to get another guy won't call up now and say, what's Fluffernutter? Anyway, hold on to James there. Let's make sure that we get all of his nitty-gritty details in Mass Smith. By the way, we give him an extra uh, booby prize there because Mass Smith voted for Curtis Lee with a man. Weren't many Mass Smiths out there, but Mass Smith, Glendale, Middle Village, yeah! Right there at 69th Street off the LIE, you see the monuments, the war monuments there, the Mass Smith uh, bank there. They had a free concert with my friend Jimmy Sturr, right? An Irishman who runs the biggest Polish poker band in the world. Seven-time Grammy Award winner, Polish poker. An Irishman. We couldn't find a Pole to be the head of a Polish band playing the poker? No, an Irishman who lives in Florida, New York. You know where the combos used to go there to hide out? And that's uh, black dirt country. This is where the Poles actually grow the sweet onions. Only there in the world. And once again, who has the house in the center of town? Jimmy Stir. See, the Irish always say Irish. You know, they say, don't hire the Irish, you know. The Irish need not apply. Yeah, because they own all of Florida, New York. Jimmy Stir downtown. He owned the radio station there. 
and the Columbos when they'd be in the hideout. Yeah, we're going to be getting into that in the Racket Report during the Frank Morano Show, 1 to 5. I'll be doing it all this week, Monday through Fridays, 1 to 5. Tough nookies if you don't like it. We'll be talking about the hideout there. Of course, you're hiding out in Jimmy Stirr's house. He has the world's largest Polish polka band. He's Irish, and all of a sudden you're Columbos, and you say, nobody will ever know we're here. And they didn't. Anyway, let's go to Neil, who's calling from Bayside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Neil. Hi, how are you, Curtis? How do you think I am? I have a separated shoulder, Neil. Uh, I'm dying here. How do you think I am, Neil? Huh? I'm sorry about that, but are you really sorry, or are you just saying it's like a tick? Well, I'm sorry that you're in pain. I don't want anybody to Look, be in pain except Neil, the criminals. Neil, excuse me. Hold on a second. You know how many times I've been in married? I've been in pain for most of my life. You were never around then to ask me, oh, I'm so sorry for the pain you're going through. Were you, Neil? <laughs> I am. Okay, yes. Neil. Well, well, what is your point? What is your point? Uh, my point is this. They're going to take all of these politicians that are so darn liberal with these uh, with these criminals and take their security details away from them and let them fend for themselves like everybody else. Excellent, Neil. Excellent, because the very same people who defunded the police in New York City to the tune of a billion dollars, they never put it back. Uh, many of them have security provided by us, the sucker taxpayers, round-the-clock, 24-hour protection by armed NYPD police officers. We pay for their SUVs. We pay for their drivers. We pay for everything. And you know the public advocate, Jumani Williams, actually lives in the safest location in the five boroughs. He lives behind the walls of Fort Hamilton, the active army garrison, he lives on the army base. And he wow. he doesn't want anybody to have to show papers for identification. Every night when he returns to his home, what do you think the military police ask him? Papers or you don't come in. Yeah. He's got to show his ID. You see how wow. they are, Neil? Take the SUVs away. Take the details away. It's a one-way street, and I'm getting sick and tired of it. It's a terrible, terrible, uh, it's a terrible city that we're living in right now, and uh, all of these criminals are getting away with murder, yeah. literally and figuratively. Well, I want to add an addendum to what you recommended, Neil. I want them to have to all ride the subway. You want to, you want to clean up the subway. You want to turn the subway into a normal experience, the way it should be. For the money that we fund, the rip-off MTA money-taking agency, force all these elected and appointed officials to ride the subway. They got to take a selfie. We got to see them swiping themselves in in the metro. They got to send every 10 minutes. It's got to be time-stamped where they are in the subway system. Not an aide-de-camp, not an intern, because, you know, some of them, hey, go get me a cup of coffee. Take the E-Trade to Jamaica. Find a coffee shop around there. No, 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 no. I'll fix them. I'll fix them good. Anyway, let's go to Tom, who's calling from Hazleton, Pennsylvania, which itself over the years has had an incredible number of illegal aliens flooding in there. Correct, Tom? That's right, Curtis. Uh I used to take the bus when I was a kid, and the bus was all full of soot. And I tried to get downtown 
And, uh, you know, I've been buying trinkets down the street when I was a kid. And the church was very big here in the 70s. And now there's uh, Dominicans here. Uh, and, let me, uh, let me, we let me, don't have any of our childhood friends and from the Catholic CYO League. And I played in the CYO League in, in, uh, in, on 99 Water Street. Oh, yeah, look, CYO, Catholic Youth Organization. And there's the PAL, Police Athletic League, and then there is the YMHA, I think, Young Men's Hebrew Association. You know who played at the Young Men's Hebrew Association and was a better basketball player than he was a baseball player? Sandy Koufax. There's a little trivia for you. You can tell that to uh, your friend Frank Morano, who thinks uh, you get nothing from uh, discussing trivia. Sandy Koufax, YMHA, he'd go there, play basketball. He tried to convince him, okay, you have an erratic fastball at Lafayette High School. He could not hit the catcher's mitt. The Brooklyn Dodgers, so drafted him anyway. He still couldn't throw a strike. He thought, maybe, you know, I went to the University of Cincinnati. You know, Oscar Robinson went there. Jerry Lucas went there. I could have been a pro. One of the greatest Jewish NBA ball players of all time. And then suddenly he found this stuff, and the rest is history. I ever tell you in my meeting with Sandy Koufax uh, on a plane going to LAX? He looked at me getting off the plane. I, of course, was in steerage. He was in first class. He said, wow, Curtis Sliwa. I said, wow, Sandy Koufax. And that was the end of our discussion. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I'm from East New York. I'm from East New York. I'm from East New York. Where the guns do the talk. Where the guns do the talk. Where the guns do the talk. East New York, Brooklyn. I'm from East New York. Linden Projects, Pink Houses, better known as Stink Houses, Cypress Hills. These are the uh, gun boys, these are the drug boys, and they run the streets of the 75th Precinct, now considered the crime epicenter of the five boroughs of the city of New York, and it is. And by the way, um, Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan, his uh, guns are... You know, whatever happened to his guns are, right? Hey, whatever happened to that person of no consequence that he's paying all that money to who actually has been putting his beak in the trough and ripping off city funds for years? Head of the Man Up organization, Man Up. Wow, you've been doing a really good job there. Crime is skyrocketing, gun crime there, and the thugs and the thugettes rule. And it's interesting. I, I don't hear anything more about the gun czars. Anybody? Does anybody hear anything about the gun czar? Gun czar. Anybody know? I mean, it's a lot of attention. You know, hey, every week, the gun czar is going to meet with the police commissioner, herself missing in action, and they're going to crack down on this gun violence. I haven't seen either one of them. I bet you they're getting paid. I bet you they're cashing their checks, and I bet you they ain't getting paid in Bitcoin, right? That scam, that Ponzi scheme. Let's go, though, to the phones here. To Carol's calling from the Poconos. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hey, uh, Curtis, you're right on tonight. I'm sorry you're hurting, but uh, I love you. Uh, uh, 
the uh, vice president for um, Barry Goldwater was named William Miller. That's right. He was a congressman from uh, New York State. Uh, his claim to his claim to fame was he did one of those initial commercials, you know, for American Express, you know, and nobody knew who he was. And he says, "My name is William Miller," and ta 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 ta. And people said, "Who the hell is he?" <laughs> the guy ran for vice president of the United States. They never gave him any play. Never gave him any attention. And also, do you know that when Barry Goldwater was born? Arizona was not yet a state, so he was really not a citizen of the United States. <laughs> That's very cogent of you. And let me just uh, mention that with the passing of the New York State uh, Conservative Party chairman, Michael Long, previously the chairman, and then he turned over the duties as he aged, one of his uh-huh. first political jobs that he ever did was to go door to door and try to get people to vote for Barry Goldwater. And he told me the story. People said, are you crazy? It's going to blow up the world. Didn't you see that commercial? They played it on the news. That commercial never aired, the political commercial of the little girl in the field playing with the no. daisies. And remember the countdown and then boom. If you were like Barry I Goldwater, this will be the I end. Him in 1964. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people misunderstood he was truly a libertarian. He was not a holy roller. And uh, it would have been interesting if we could have transported him to today's volatile political lack of discussion, how he would have been able to negotiate. Because stay on the line, Carol, you've won the Curtis Lee Booby Prize, knowing it was William Miller, the vice presidential candidate for Barry Goldwater. But remember, it was Barry Goldwater who went to the White House to tell Tricky Dick Nixon, it's over. You know, if you don't leave now and go to San Clemente on Marine One, we are going to impeach you, and then we're going to eliminate you from the White House. Not just an impeachment. You will be sacked. And he uh, said, how many votes? He said, you got no votes. (laughs) And Richard Nixon Americans got to know that their president is not a crook. Well, tricky Dick Nixon was. Anyway, let's go to Zach in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Zach. How you doing, Mr. Sliwa, Curtis? What do you uh, you mean? Everybody wants to know how am I doing, Zach. Zach, I have a separated shoulder. How would you be doing if uh, you were making this call right now and your shoulder was hanging out of its socket? How would you be doing, Zach? I'd be pretty uh, pretty much in pain and still, you know, giving it all yeah, on the show like yeah, you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But meantime, what is your point, Zach? Um, I think that, uh, you know, spam, it's what's for dinner tonight, should be, uh, I think that's what the commercials were when I was watching. I think if we, that could be the solution to the immigration problem. Instead of giving them Obama phones and all these things, make it across the across the board. That's what, that's what they're going to get. You come here, you get a... A life supply of uh, of spam. No one's going to be coming back here. They're going to be running away as far as they can. Well, well, don't be so sure, Jack. I know if uh, I was in Guatemala City or I was in El Salvador, right, surrounded by MS-13, we're going to kill you, amigo. Uh, I think uh, coming to America, spam would be uh, like a gourmet meal. 
An absolute gourmet meal. I, you know, people make fun of spam. People lived on spam. There are people now who have the wherewithal not to have to eat spam, but they insist. You're at a diner, right? You're at a diner. Jersey, you're dying, you're dying. What are you going to have? I want scrambled eggs and spam. And you look at the guy like, what? You know, there's like a, a book. It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica that they give you at every diner in New Jersey. They have items there. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know how they make them. They've got ten thousand items to choose from. I'll just have spam. Fortissimo, the great Monty Python singing the Spam song. It took you guys a month of Sundays. You know, I had my crew here, Bill Lee, on loan from WCBS-FM, and uh, Avery. We would have had that right at the top of the hour. But you're a dollar short a day late there. Uh, we will continue on to the next hour, and you will be surprised at what I reveal. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Rebel Yell. What was he, tooting some cocaine at the time, smoking meth? God, that guy was a was a Petri dish of illegal drugs, hopping around. But, oh, man, the guy, when it came to being totally psychotic, out of control, in a drug-induced psychosis, you saw him wandering through Washington Square Park, Billy Idol with that white hair and a cane, and all the Rastafarians with their Chippy Pop caps there selling nickel and dime bags would say, Well, he, just, he doesn't want reefer, man. He wants coquina. Anybody got any pure stuff from Columbia, man? His, he, he, he toots it in his nose, and he knows if it's been cut. Yeah, Billy Idol. He was a degenerate coke freak. They had him locked up in the Metropolitan Psychiatric uh, Facility a little bit uh, because that stuff will drive you crazy. 
And we're going to be talking about the Metropolitan Hospital Psychiatric Center, a place I know well, because it was just two blocks from where I was living on 96th and 3rd, helping to raise Anthony Chester Sliwa. And I would go into the Metropolitan, and there were two wards. There was the ER and the ICU if you were having health issues. And then in the rear, oh, yeah, there was the psychiatric facility that they don't let you go into. But being Curtis Sliwa, I never take no for an answer. And I'm going to reveal to you why there are so many emotionally disturbed peoples now roaming around in the Upper East Side, the Upper East Side. Earlier today when I signed on at 3 o'clock, there was a guy doing a rebel yell at 58th and Sutton Place. 58th and Sutton Place at 3 o'clock. At 440 East 58th Street, he pulls out a knife. He's wearing a black mask, black clothing, and he's robbing people. Sutton Place, Upper East Side. Even in the worst days of the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, and they were bad. This never happened. Did you see that video that was being played over and over and over? It's African-American black guy at 6 o'clock in the morning off of Park Avenue. Park Avenue on the Upper East Side. He's under a scaffold because there are scaffolds everywhere in this city. They need to take and rip all these scaffolds down because it acts as cover for these demented, mentally ill individuals who are on the prey for women. Did you see how he slugged that woman over and over again at 6 o'clock in the morning? And then, then, there was the suspect, who was a short man with a medium build and black hair. He was last seen carrying a dark-colored backpack and wearing a white long sleeve T-shirt with designs on the front, light-colored blue jeans and sneakers on the Upper East Side, 87, off of First Avenue. He raped a woman at night. Now, based on that description, uh, if you notice, uh, Matt Blaze, you should be very uh, very sensitive to this since uh, you appear to be a fugitive with uh, a name like Matt Blaze. I don't believe that is. You probably have quite a few alias names. Who knows what you've done in your life, but you ended up here. The NYPD gives all these descriptions down to what color shoelaces you have, the color of your jeans, the hoodie. Oh, you know, you know, anybody comes up to you with a hoodie, you better profile them. It's freaking summer. And the guy's wearing a hoodie. Well, I don't want to profile him, you know. I don't want to be considered a racist. That black guy with the hoodie there, all in black, wearing a black hoodie, wearing a mask. Oh, yeah. It's like 150 degrees in the shade, and he's wearing a hoodie. You think he's up to anything good? Yeah, but I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You're crazy. But in this case, they didn't give a description of the suspect's color. They never do. And it turned out when I went to the 19th precinct, because I wanted to find out what, it's a white guy. So why don't they put that white Black, Hispanic, Asian, olive skin. They give you all other details. Let me give you the details again. The suspect was described as a short man with a medium build and black hair. He was last seen carrying a dark-colored backpack and wearing a white long-sleeve T-shirt with designs up front, light-colored blue jeans and sneakers. I mean, that's an exhaustive description. I lost my breath giving it. 
And what's the one thing that's missing? The color of his skin, like it always is. Now, over on the point spread, if you would have said to me, what's the likelihood of his I would have said, yeah, he's black. I would have been wrong. I would have grabbed the wrong guy. Who would have been wearing the same garb? I, I got him. I got him. No, but it's a white guy. Well, how come you didn't write it was a white guy? Have you noticed they do this all the time? All the freaking time. And I complain about it, complain about it. It was a robbery in Midtown near Chelsea. The robbers described as wearing black hoodies fled and sped away in a light-colored sedan, possibly an Audi. Could you tell me what the color of their skin was? A lot of people ride Audis. A lot of people nowadays wear black hoodies, even though it's 120 degrees in the shade. Should indicate to you that this guy might be coming up and thugging you, right? Well, I didn't want to overreact. You know, I don't want to be guilty of profile. Trust me, profile, it's what saved my life. From the moment I walk out in the street and go in the subway and go in the parks, I'm profiling. Periscope up. Danger, danger. Mr. Robinson, danger, dangerously. Yeah, but you're a racist when you profile. No, you're a survivalist. How many people, right, said, well, yeah, I really, yeah, I didn't want to overreact. Next thing you know, they're in the hospital four months. You know, I had this intuition that they were up to no good. Really? Why didn't you follow your intuition? Well, I didn't want to overreact. You know, I'm a white out the cocker, and, I, you know, I know white people can be racist, really. So you had this intuition that these three thugs coming up on you were going to rob you and knock you upside the head. They were circling you like piranha, right? They had their hoodies on and their masks. But you thought, ah, live and let live. I'm a libertarian. Bang. Schmuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let them tell you you shouldn't profile. You tell them Curtis Lee was alive at 68 because he profiles every minute of the day. White collar, blue collar, no collar. I want to stay alive. You don't profile? Guess what? You're going to be turned into a speed bump. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All of these crimes on the Upper East Side and people are fleeing in mass. And it's all over the city. The swagger man has no plan, Eric Adams. His police commissioner, Sewell, not ready for prime time. She gets no respect in the department. She doesn't visit the precincts. I visit more precincts than the police commissioner does. I'll never forget, 41st precinct, I walk in. uh, Has commissioner been here, Sewell? Who's that? Your police commissioner. You know, the woman from the Nassau County Detectives Bureau who was appointed by Eric Adams. No, haven't seen her. You think in the middle of a crime crisis in the heart of the South Bronx that the police commissioner would make a courtesy visit? Hi, guys. Hi, gals. I'm here. I got your back. Nothing. Ugats. Bupkis. Well, let's try to solve this problem now because, you know, a lot of shows, everybody gets upset. You know, I'm leaving. I've had it. I put the for sale sign. I disagree. Improve, don't move. Let's get to the heart of the problem. Why are there so many crimes being committed in the Upper East Side? A lot of people ask that. They ask it right here. Bill Bratton. It was in a Cindy Adams column, a great interview with Bill Bratton. He was describing what he would do if he were the police commissioner. We only wish he were. But his wife, the attorney, got mugged on 57th and 3rd Avenue, broad daylight. His wife. 57 into why are so many crimes being committed on the Upper East Side? 
especially by those who are emotionally disturbed, who have lost control of their mental faculties. Nobody ever asked that question. The Metropolitan Hospital is right there on 97th and 1st Avenue, right off the FDR Drive. Many of you pass it every day. You see way up there, high in the sky, the logo, Metropolitan. I would suggest you not go there unless they force you to go there because I have already told the guardian angels, if I get shot or stabbed or a car hits me again, whether it's a cab or not, do not take me to Metropolitan Hospital on 97th and 1st. Let me die right there in the street. There are certain hospitals in the city, like Woodkill, a.k.a. Woodhull in Bushwick, right on Broadway. Do not take me to Woodkill because I'll be dead. Coney Island Hospital. Forget Kings County. Never. Never. Let me die in peace here, please. And Metropolitan is one of those hospitals. You do not want to go into that ER because guess what? You may not come out. And you may hear some guy from years ago. I need the ventilators, the ventilators. Hey, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, you're having flashbacks. Stay the hell out of that ER. But there are some people who are poor and indigent. They have no other choice. They have to go to Metropolitan Hospital. It is convenient to the um, East Harlem. And it is uh, sometimes a better choice than some of the other options, uh, like Lincoln Hospital. Do not go to Lincoln Hospital in the South Bronx. I could be shot 52 times, I would say, let me bleed out in peace. Hey, give me a little painkiller here, a little fentanyl, you know, a little morphine, so I can do not take me to Lincoln Hospital. I'll end up coming out a zombie. No, no, Curtis Willett. No, 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 no. Do you have papers, doctor? Where, where are you from? Well, I don't, well, why do you need to know? Were you from Cairo? Are you from Alexandria? I get a sense you're an Egyptian. It's none of your business. Before you put that scalpel in me, I want to know where you're from, where you went. To medical school. You gotta ask these questions. You'd be surprised. You walk into the doctor's office, you say, I don't even recognize that country that you got your medical degree from. Where on the map is it? None of your business. It looks good. Okay. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. So I have been to Metropolitan Hospital. Yes, I have illegally entered the uh, no-go zone for citizens because it has a psychiatric facility there. There are many, many hospitals, private and city-run hospitals, that the major part of the building deals with your medical needs, but they will have a psychiatric unit, and it is a hell of a lot different than the hospital. A lot of times barbed wire, armed guards... You get locked in. You know, you're a ward of the state. You get sent to a psychiatric facility. You're a ward of the state. You don't get to go home when you want to go home. Your family can't come and say, hey, you know, we're a little over-emotional. You know, he said he was Meshuggah Bots. You know, he threatened to slit our throats. Yeah, come on. Uh, forgive. Live and let live. Forgive. No, no, he ain't going nowhere. He's a ward of the state. I know, I had my dad at Maimonides, right? He knocked out two Russian nurses, male nurses at night. I said, don't send the males into his room. He's going to have flashbacks from World War II. He hated Stalin. Send the Caribbean women, the West Indian women. Send the Polish or the Russian women nurses. 
don't send the men in there. What did they do? They sent two of the male orderlies in. He knocked both of them out. The next thing I know, he's in the back of my monitors. There's the razor wire. He's sitting in a room. It's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The only thing missing was Jack Nicholson. And he said, are you my son? I said, yeah, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm your son. Get me out of this nut house. I said, Dad, if you keep calling this place a nut house, they're never going to let you go. I, I can't get you out of here. You're a ward of the state. Be pleasing, pleasant, and polite. Be so nice that if I were a diabetic, I would have insulin shock. Well, he regaled them in Siemens tales, merchant Siemens, 54 years. A week later, he's entertaining the patients, the clients, the doctors, the visitors. And the director of the um, psychiatric facility in Maimonides called me up and said, we're transferring your dad back to the regular hospital there so they can deal with his medical needs. There's nothing wrong with his head. I said, yes, there is. He's stubborn. That's how he got in there to begin with. Get me out of this nut house, he said to me, or you're not my son. Ooh. By the way, I digress here. So let's talk about Metropolitan Hospital. It's in East Harlem, 97th Street and 1st Avenue. You can see it all along the FDR Drive. And it doesn't look like a bad hospital. You do not want to be in Metropolitan Hospital. I'm just going to tell you. If you get hit by a car and you're down on the ground and you're a speed bump, say, please, don't take me to Metropolitan Hospital. Please take me anywhere else. Please, pretty please. But they have a psychiatric facility that probably per capita per person has had more of the mentally ill patients attacking the psychiatric nurses. It is at an emergency level. They no longer use restraints. It used to be that if you couldn't use drugs to calm down the person who is severely mentally ill, that is having a psychotic disorder, you had no choice. You had to put them in restraints. There are very few male nurses any longer. And yes, size does matter in this case when you're trying to restrain somebody who's trying to kill you. So a male nurse is preferred. You can have female nurses, psychiatric nurses, but it's good to have one or two male nurses along. And what is happening there, there should be an expose. We need to have cameras. We're paying for this. These people who are suffering with these psychotic disorders are not getting health care, and the people who are assigned to take care of them are being, in some instances, raped, sexually assaulted, beaten, traumatized to the point where they're afraid to come back to Metropolitan Psychiatric Facility. They call it the Harlem Metropolitan uh, Hospital. It's the same thing that's happening in Rikers Island. That's why so many correctional officers just decide to take a permanent sick leave because the inmates control the asylum. The gangs control Rikers Island. MS-13, Latin Kings, Trinitarios, the Dominican gang, Bloods, Crips, and all those other wannabes. They control Rikers Island. They have assaulted correctional officers. They have raped and sexually assaulted female correctional officers. And nothing gets done about it because, let's be honest, if I was to go up to an average person listening to this program right now, would you know what goes on behind the walls of these psychiatric facilities? Would you know what goes on behind the walls of these jails? Jails are 
where you get detained at a municipal or local level or county jail. Prison is where you end up doing time of a year or more. Would any of you actually know? You you watch these uh, dramas on TV. You know, you watch uh, programs about jails, but it's not it's not a lockdown on MSNBC, which is actually better than anything they've had on MSNBC, which gives you a little feel of what it's like prison life. But it's still it's not the same thing. So we have a crisis here and there is no elected officials. There are no appointed officials who are talking about how these brave men and women who work in these facilities are being assaulted on a regular basis. They're having their arms broken, their legs broken, blackened eyes, broken noses, and they're expected to return again and again and again. And they cannot put restraints on those who are having psychotic disorders to the point where they're a danger to themselves, a danger to the other patients, and mostly a danger to the psychiatric nurses. They have police in the hospitals. They don't want the police to get involved. Yeah, it's the same problem that we have in the streets. Oh, let the shrinks, let the psychiatrists deal with them. Keep the police away. Can you imagine how impotent the police feel as police in hospitals when they're told, don't come into the psychiatric ward. We got it. We're handling it. And you're hearing women being beaten up, stomped on, female psychiatric nurses. And do you know how many of these psychiatric patients are just walking out? Do you have any idea how many of these psychiatric patients just walk out the door? Of course, because nobody tells you this at a state level or at the city municipal level. This Creedmoor over in northern Queens along the northern state parkway, it's only 30% occupied. You go to Kirby Psychiatric Facility right there in Randall's Island, 30% occupied. There are people walking out who are a danger to society. And you wonder why there are all these crimes, these vicious, violent crimes being committed on the Upper East Side. Well, Metropolitan Hospital is in proximity of what? The Upper East Side, 96th Street South, right? How come nobody mentions this? Do you ever hear this from City Hall? No. Oh, no cash bail. It's everything is no cash. Oh, yeah, it plays a role. But the emotionally disturbed persons that I run across all the time in the subways and the streets and the parks, I have conversations with them. I check their wrists because many of them have wristbands of the hospitals they were recently hospitalized in and the medications they're supposed to be receiving that they're not. Because if they're not housed in a psychiatric facility, how are they going to get their medication? And they'll tell me, how did you get out of Metropolitan? I walked out. Did anybody prevent you from leaving? No. They actually welcomed me leaving because they said they got too many problems and not enough staff. Who's monitoring this? We're paying for this. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis. What's going on? It's John a cop from Long Beach. Uh, I spoke to you before. I was a cop in the 75 for many years. Oh, yeah. And what was it like when you had to go yeah. on tour duties there, John? Yeah. And I, I had the same sector for five years, King Mike, okay? And that covered the pink houses and the Cypress Hill houses, okay? And I would get calls over there, shots fired. I would pull up to the pink houses, and they'd be shooting from one porch 
to the other porch, and they'd be shooting back at them. And you know what I'd do? I'd give it a whoop, whoop with the siren, and they'd all go running back in. What am I supposed to do, shoot them all? You know? Now, you're right, John, and a lot of people don't realize that because they couldn't even find East New York on a map. You have Cypress Hills Projects. You have the Linden yep. Projects, the Boulevard Projects, Pink Boulevard Houses. Houses I covered too, right, right. Yeah, we used, to call the, we used to call the Pink Houses the Stink Houses right next to the Times Square stores, which is now their yep. movie complex. And the liquor store was right there, too. My buddy, one of the cops there, did the security there at night, right at the liquor store. Did and you're talking about hospitals. Yes. We would take the bad guy. We would always take the bad guy to Brookdale, okay? And the good guys would take the Jamaica Hospital, which was much further, but, you know. Much better. Much better. I, I've been stitched up at Jamaica Hospital along the Van Wick. They do a much better job than Brookdale. I got to tell you a story, John. So I fall off of this scaffold, and I break my wrist, and they take me to uh, Brookdale. I was uh, the key man at the AMP on uh, Fulton and Rockaway across from the 69th Precinct. They take me to Brookdale. That was uh, in the early 70s, lots of gunshots, lots of people knives. So I had to wait a long time. They gave me a sedative. I went to sleep. I woke up on the operating table, and they were putting a plaster of cast, plaster of Paris cast on my arm that I had broken uh, the wrist in. And it was a Dr. Khan who had done like 36 straight hours. Back then, John, they would have you do 36 hours, 48 hours. You're like well, all wired up, you know. You were popping bennies to stay awake. And Dr. Khan was putting the plaster of Paris cast on the wrong arm. One arm looks like Fudgy the Whale. The other arm is normal. He's putting it on the regular arm, and it's cold, and it's wet. And I said, Doc, you're putting, you're putting the cast on the wrong arm. Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry. Said, Where are you from? Pakistan. I need a guy from Pakistan who can't even figure out what arm to put the plaster of Paris cast on, John? Yeah. And you remember Baptist Hospital? That was across from the TSS by uh, by the Pink Houses? Oh, Baptist Hospital. Oh, you, you did not want to go there, John. <laughs> in the hole. In the hole it was, remember? Yeah, you did not want to go there. You might as well have signed your last will and testament if they wheeled you yeah. in there. And yeah, by the way, to go to breakfast. John, you know what they have right on Linden Boulevard by Fountain Avenue across from the Cypress Hills projects? They have the animal shelter, and they expect people to go there to, to rescue dogs and cats. It is the most dangerous area of the city. It's not easy to get to. It's dangerous. That, that should not be a shelter there, John. Nobody's going to go there. No, no, I agree with you. And I, I used to cover all of the shelters. I, I retired. I was a sergeant in the warrant squad, and I covered the Brooklyn shelters. I would go there the day before, get the roster, and grab everybody that had a warrant. You know what? 98% of the guys in there were just, and they weren't bad, these shelters, like you people think. They were a good place. They were clean. The security was good. They'd make you leave at 8 in the morning. And 98% of these guys were just looking to get their lives back together that were in there. And uh, very rarely they had any trouble with them. Very rarely. Well, I tell you now, John, now they have what they call MICA shelters for the emotionally disturbed. These are men and women who should not be in shelters. They need to be hospitalized. They have severe psychotic disorders. They put them in these MICA shelters. They don't let the staff put their hands on them. The directors, the administrators live in total fear. 
the other clients are worried that they're going to have their throats slit at night. Uh, the uh, private security officers, if they're not uh, from the Department of uh, Homeless Services, are terrified of these folks who need medication to control them. They're not being given their medication. It is an absolute disaster, and nothing is being done. And you see, I crawl into the belly of the beast. I don't just read the New York Times or read the newspapers or, you know, scroll down on my iPhone and my smartphone. Oh, I saw a documentary the other day. It was horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it helps. It helps. It gives you an idea. But it's a hell of a lot better when you actually go in and see it for yourself. And I'm telling you, when is the last time that you saw an expose about the psychiatric hospitals run by New York State and the city of New York. Can anybody remember? Remember what it took for us to have an expose of Willowbrook, the way they were housing those uh, young men, young women, and adults who had severe mental handicaps. It was Geraldo Rivera who went over the wall, over the fence. That was a state facility. It was a horror chamber. Horror chamber. What, what, are we going to have to do that? How come no intrepid reporters do that? When's the last time you saw it? Eyewitness News, that's right. We're competing with NBC, Channel 2, Channel 5, Channel 11. You have all of these uh, stringers, you know, and people with blogs. You would think, wow, how come we haven't had an expose of a psychiatric hospital run by the state, run by the city, when Andrew Evilize Cuomo was elected governor the first time, we had 30,000 beds. When George Pataki was governor, he left the office with 30,000 beds for the emotionally disturbed. You know how many beds there are now in state facilities for the emotionally disturbed with all the cuts that Andrew Evilize Cuomo made? 3,000 beds. Where do you think those 27,000 people went? Some of them died. Some of them uh, left. Most of them are right out there in the streets, in the parks, living in the subways. We have only ourselves to blame. WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. an interview in 2005. We're going to be talking about Harvey Weinstein overnight. Great interview earlier today by Joan Hamburg, our queen of radio. Canaletta that wrote a book about Harvey Weinstein. Remember 2005? Nobody, nobody listened to Courtney Love because they thought she was a screwball, a crackpot. And maybe put that shotgun under the jaw of her husband who blew himself into the hereafter? I'm not making judgments. But in 2005, remember, she said on TMZ, why don't you ask a lot of the women who uh, were forced to be with Harvey Weinstein what happened? 2005. Everybody said, ah, she's a crackhead. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, hell yes, she knew. And right now, I'm 
mulling the fate over the fact that with this recession, the inflation, that when I'm really down on my luck and I got to let my last few dollars buy a can of Spam or Armour meat spread, there's nothing more vile than that. Now, the Vienna little sausages that if I go into a Dwayne Reed or a CVS or a Walgreens, that it's going to be in a plastic box. It's almost like I need the combination. I need to get a clerk. Please, clerk, come to aisle five with your keys. I just want a can of Spam. You know, before I go to the electric chair, you know, is that the only way I can get my Spam, my wish for the last meal? I just want Spam. I just want Armour Meat Spread. I just want Vienna Sausages, please. Well, we have to get the key first. I don't know. It may take about 20 or 30 minutes. Can I have a little toothpaste? No. That also is uh, behind a locked encasement. Have we lost our minds, ladies and gentlemen? We have folded like cheap cameras to the enemy. And the enemy is the shoplifters, the boosters, the looters. Hey, come on in. Get your Alvin bag, swag bag. Just promise you're not going to shoot. You get to take everything. Just, you know, make sure it's less than $1,000 so nothing will happen. You slip through the cracks, you get a disappearance ticket, and you can come and do it over and 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 over again. And why are they doing that? AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Because they need a loaf of bread, a container of milk, or baby formula. I can't even find baby formula! No, they're doing a score dope. K2, fentanyl, heroin, meth, crack! Oh, it's for survival. AOC, all out crazy. Oh, I feel for them. No, I don't feel for them. Because we're going to have to end up paying for this. And they're laughing at us every day. They look in the cameras. Hello, look at me. I'm in the meat section here at Christini's or D'Agostino's or any of the other number of supermarkets. Look at everything I can take. And maybe one person gets caught, but the other person runs out the other way because we work as teams. And I'll never forget when I was given a tour of Macy's years ago, the largest department store in America at 34th and Herald Square, by Johnny Legit, who was a vice president there. To Curtis, I want you to come up to the fourth floor, fourth floor. I need a little more. Come on, man. Give me that grunge. Come on, man. Got to flow through my veins and arteries. We're talking about thuggery, thuggets. They have a jail up on the fourth floor. A jail at Macy's Herald, bigger than the jail in Midtown South, the largest precinct in Manhattan. But all the shoplifters, they have pictures up of all of the pickpockets, jostlers, the uh, boosters, the uh, every conceivable criminal who's come into Macy's. Since uh, the miracle on 33rd Street, yeah, when probably as young thugs and thuggettes, they sat on Santa Claus's knee. And they said, I can't wait to come here and shoplift in Macy's because there are no consequences. Now, 
There's nobody in jail in Macy's. Ah, what's the point? The store detectives say, nah, nah, nah. Nothing's going to happen. We bring them to Midtown South, they cut them loose. And they used to have Doberman pinches. So when they closed the store at night, you know, it's such an old facility that you could hide and secure yourself out of sight, out of mind. And as soon as the store detectives close the lights and close the doors, and you figure like, wow, I get to roam on the first, second, third, and fourth floor and take whatever I want. Not. There was a hungry Doberman licking his chops saying, go for it. Go for it. I'm going to take your thigh, and we're going to have you for dinner. So you're stuck in the bathroom. You're on the porcelain palace. You're saying your prayers, and you can't wait for the store detectives to come in the morning to save your miserable life. It was so much better back then. So much better. Let's go to Christine in the East Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Christine. Hi, Curtis. Uh, can you hear me? Loud and clear, Christine. Great. I graduated from nursing school, Queens General Hospital Nursing School, in 1975. That school no longer exists. I was the second to last class that graduated. They shut it down. I've worked in psychiatry, the pain clinic, the best place I ever worked. St. Vincent's shut down. St. Clair's shut down. Bellevue School of Nursing, the original, shut down. Morris J. Bernstein from Bethesville Medical Center, psych, gone. Um, I've worked in all these places, and I know what, what went on in there. And I could write a book about it. And I would say point one of the fingers I would point would be at Bloomberg, because he went through Manhattan and shut down everything. He bulldozed St. Vincent's. And, of course, the nursing school was destroyed, mm-hmm. and the condos, luxury condos, are where St. Vincent's used to be. Now, Christine, uh, what I was describing, because this is recently the unbelievable pressure that the psychiatric nurses and the men and women who work in our mental health facilities, how in danger they are as other patients are. Uh, That's nothing new. I know, but you would think there would have been an expose. There would be some intrepid reporter who would want to make his or her mark, would go in and report to the world, video it, photograph it, let everybody see the abuse that goes on in these facilities. And I'm not talking to the patients. I'm talking about the patients attacking the psychiatric nurses, the doctors, the staff. I know it. I was never attacked in my entire career because I know what I'm doing. But I know the danger, and if you speak up as a patient advocate, which is what a nurse basically is, they will blacklist you because this happened to me, and I would love to have a meeting with you and tell you it was a political move. It it ultimately is linked to Harold Dickies and and, uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, well, you hold on. Hold on, Christine, please, uh, if you can. Carmela, Carmesita, what what is your name again? Camelia from Canarsie, please get her information, and we'll make contact with Christine. Let's go to Stevie D calling from Niagara Falls. Which side, the Canadian or the American side, Stevie? American side, Curtis. Let me make mention, Stevie, probably the biggest disappointment in my life. When I started the Guardian Angels in Buffalo, I went out to Niagara Falls. I said, you got to see the falls. I was on the American side. I said, 
And for this, I came here. The Canadian side, it's like Disney World. There are casinos, there are trees, there's green grass, and the falls on the Canadian side are better than the falls on the American side. Am I right about that? Yes, you are, because my friend owns a couple of hotels over on the Canadian side as you go over the Rainbow Bridge, and they're prospering, and the views are beautiful. The businesses started to shut down when the casino came in, but it's still a clean, clean city. Absolutely. Um, and remember when you were first growing up before 9-11 and you wanted to go to Canada, there was the RCMP yep. right there at the border, Dudley Do-Right, with his trusty steed, and he said, where do you want to go, American? And all you had to do is say, I'm making a beer run for Labatt's and Molson. That's it. Come on Come in. On. You got me tagged. Right? Come on in. I used to go get a uh, tank of gas and a case of beer, Labatt's beer, uh, five point something uh, percent alcohol, bring it back and save money like crazy. Because I worked at a paper company, the old Kimberly Clark. Ah. And, and then I ended up playing soccer. In Canada from, uh, oh, man. Let me tell you something, Steve. Now, now, now you're taking me on memory lane there as I would go across the Friendship Bridge. I could actually have seen Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb's house. She says she can see Ontario through her kitchen window uh, like (laughs) the former governor of Alaska who could see Russia through her kitchen window. Anyway, I would take the Friendship Bridge over. I'll go through Guelph and London, throughout yep. Ontario, Hamilton. I loved Hamilton, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I for the Hamilton Proto Soccer Club, which made chips for the Canadian government. Yes, and then... And then I, Stony Creek is right by Hamilton, played in Iberwind Stadium, which is where the Hamilton Tiger Cats play back in the day, and it was great. I played against all kinds of people, Curtis. Nobody was prejudiced, including me against Croatian, Serbian, English, Irish. I was on the Italian club. Ah, uh, now let me uh, let me ask you a question here, Steve. Let's, yeah. let's test your acumen on this. Where okay. are there more Italians, Toronto or New York City? I think maybe Toronto because... Yes, got, yes, got, yes. Uh, Put them on hold. Give them a Curtis Lee with booby prize. People don't realize... There are more Italians who live in T.O. Toronto than there are in New York City. Because, actually, the Italians here have fled. Where have they gone? Ha! To Florida! <laughs> Either that or, you know, they first go to Staten Island and hop, skip, and a jump down, down to the Jersey Shore. Then they go to Florida. Oh, he brought me back to my Oh, holy Italians in T.O. And uh, Scarborough, which is... Uh, Hey, that's a rough suburb now. A lot of shootouts. And then Mississauga, the world's flattest suburb. It's all asphalt. And then Jane Finch, Carter. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. See, I I could do a show in Canada. Hamilton. Hamilton, it's like the 1950s. The steel mills right there. I could be based in Hamilton. But would I ever leave New York City? Hell no. I believe improve, don't move. I'm going to fight for what I know is right until the day I die. And if I am lucky enough to get buried, it'll probably be in a cardboard box in Potter's Field at the rate I'm going. My God, this child support just keeps going up and up and up and up. Hey, it's my fault, right? Should have had Jimmy Caps.
You know, three sons. I'm proud of all three sons. Anthony was an intern here. You can hear the father and son podcasts, Anthony and Curtis. And then my middle son, Carter, who just came back from camp. I got to see him. You want to learn all about camp, right? I never I hated camp. Couldn't wait for my mom to pick me up. I was only six years old. CYO camp up in Pear Mound. The mosquitoes, you could put saddles on them. Mom, get me the hell out of here. Never went back to camp. Never. Not day camp, not sleepover camp. And then, of course, uh, there's my youngest son, Hunter. No, I did not give him that name. Hunter now, in the age of Hunter Biden? Remember when Trump was saying, where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? My kid became obsessed, paranoid. Was the president calling for me? No, son, he's, he's not calling for you. He's talking about Hunter Biden. Yeah, but Daddy, all the kids in school were saying, the president was calling for you. Hunter, Hunter, where's Hunter? Yeah, that's what I got to deal with. Oh, by the way, the keeper of my wife, Nancy, oh, the best. It's the reason that I'm, well, I'm not really sane, but somewhat sober, right? I just got a lot of pain, you know, the shoulder popped out. You know, we were the WABC All-Stars at uh, Ferry Hawk Stadium. Magnificent stadium. Much better than Cyclone Stadium. How dare Frank Morano talk about the Cyclones in uh, Coney Island, right? You get mugged over there. You get shot. Drive-by shootings. Not there. What a court. You see the entire Bay of New York. You see Lady Liberty gift from the French people. You see Ellis Island. You see the big container ships passing through to the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Co. And in fact, one of those softballs that I pitched to one of those ringers who was on loan from the Sing Sing uh, prison camp, uh, the softball team, the ball's still going. I think it uh, went right over the Arthur Kill, Kill Van Co., landed somewhere in Bayonne. By the way, playing second base for our team, taking your life into your hands. I dislocated my shoulder. I took myself out. I was actually crying. It was so painful. And then a guy who won the contest, you know, to be the first base coach, he says, put me in, coach. Put me in. They put him in. Like five minutes later, I'm I'm dying on the bench of the Lancaster bond burners there, all the Amish guys who turned out to be Dominican. I didn't know there were Dominican Amish guys from Lancaster. I'm dying in pain, and I look up, and this guy hits a line drive. You know, one of the ringers from the police department, and it hits this guy in his beak. I mean, the blood comes out. The teeth fly out. He's on the turf. Everybody is surrounding him. They're saying prayers. Our fathers, Hail Marys. Everybody's wondering, oh, my God, I hope the guy survives. So I walk over there. I look at him. He's okay. It's two teeth. You know, you can replace teeth. Look at my mouth, right? Everybody, no, we don't want to look at your mouth. And that was the end of the game. The end of the game. <laughs> that was it. And so uh, our owner-operator, John Katzmatidis, who was part owner of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, said, hey, we're going to do it again. We are? I, I already wrote the email. I said, let's make sure there's nobody on second base because that's like a DMZ. You know, let's put, like, a a cardboard cutout of a WABC player at second base. (laughs) Because you could get killed out there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to, if we can, 
Michael's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Teaching Hospital, Montefiore, 233rd. Don't go there. Nightmares. Hmm. Now, I've had, and this is quite a, quite a while ago, I've had pretty good experiences at Montefiore. There's Einstein down the road. Um, you know, I would say, wow, the place you don't want to go is right on Pelham Parkway, Jacoby. You know what they're doing there now, Michael, and Jacoby? Yep. They're, they're That's sub- where all the illegal immigrants go to, and it's so overwhelmed. One day I spent 24 hours in the waiting room to get into the emergency room. Yeah, well, they're actually subdividing a portion of the area by Jacoby Hospital along Pelham Parkway. A lot of homeowners in that area, all their equity is invested, and they want to take guys from Rikers Island and house them right there. Whoa. That that is crazy. Now, whose brilliant idea is this to destroy a middle-class area of Italians, Albanians, Hispanics, blacks, Asians? It's Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. He's going to transfer inmates from Rikers Island, have them live in uh, in proximity to Jacoby Hospital. And you know what's going to happen in that neighborhood, Michael. Yeah. Yep. Getting back to, getting back to, to Montefiore. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, Montefiore. I'm thinking to myself, Bella Fury. You know, Bella Fury, I had no idea, right? My place, Bella Fury. I remember in Little League. It was Bella Fury, and I played for the Adam Blowers. Do you know what low self-esteem I had walking through the streets? My cousin Lenny Beans Bianchino played for Harry Shoes. Uh, the other team, Bella Fury, which was the um, hardware store. And they say, Curtis, what team do you play for? The Adam Blowers. The, the Adam what? Low self-esteem. W-A-B-C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. cult classic, The Warriors, which came out in 1979, the same year I started The Guardian Angels. It talked about gangs assembling in Van Cortland Park. And then when the charismatic leader got shot, the assumption was it was The Warriors. And they fought their way all the way back to Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue. And if you haven't seen that movie, you really do. It's a cult classic. And Joe Walsh did the soundtrack here. And it just sort of leads us into the decline of our city with crime. Over there in uh, Hunts Point, 
police officer off-duty gets out of his car by Garrison Avenue and Barreto Street, not far from where Spotford used to be in the old Mint, and he gets robbed at gunpoint. His uh, weapon and wallet stolen. The thugs have fled. Still no arrests. You know, we had a spate of problems where men and women were being tossed into the tracks of oncoming trains. That happened again in Times Square last Wednesday. A 35-year-old man was shoved onto the train tracks. He was on the southbound platform for the number one train. Remember the exact location where that Asian woman was tossed in front of that train. And her life was taken from her. And then you probably saw that video over and over in Brooklyn as a woman was walking her dog. She was 30 years old, and this enemy of society came up from behind her as she was walking her dog at Woodbine Street in Ridgewood Place in Bushwick at 8.30 in the morning Saturday. He put her in a chokehold, dragged her to the crown, and intended on raping her as he was grabbing her clothes and humping her, and yet she fought, extricated herself, and man and woman's best friend bit that guy, her dog. That's right, the dog may well be one of the security measures you have to take to survive in this city. We're going to be talking about that up next in the Animal Welfare Hour. With my wife, Nancy, it is the most listened to of the many hours I do here at WABC, the most called into and the most requested of information about dogs, cats, and other animals. But ladies and gentlemen, if you, like me, are going to fight for what you know is right, the best security option you can have to protect your valuables in your home, your domicile, and when you're walking in the streets, is to have a dog. Just make sure it's not just a fluffy little yarn ball who the moment you get attacked is going to run. You got to have a dog. (laughs) It's going to growl a little bit or at least fake it. Because that's one thing, thugs and thugettes, they see a dog and right away they wonder, you think, you think, hey, I don't know, looks like a big dog. (laughs) I don't know, you want to try? Oh, boy. Anyway, let's go to Craig, who's calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Craig. Curtis. Yes, Craig. I'm here. Yeah, and I'm here, too. uh, I tried to talk to you this afternoon. We were talking about uh, the two Star Trek people that hate each other. Oh, you mean with the passing of Nichelle Nichols? We're going to be talking about that uh, when I do the Frank Morano show in the wee hours of the morning as to whether George Takai and William Shatner will actually attend the commemoration, the memorial, and put their differences aside. What do you think the over-under point spread is that they'll do that? 0.0. But she was such, I mean, look, she was a real sweetheart. Do you know how many guys? You know, Frank is down in Cape May. You were looking for Frank. How do you know? How do you know he's in Cape May, huh? He announced it. Yeah, but that could be a diversion. Think about that, Craig. Okay. I mean, look, if you had to, let's let's say you had your last dollar, your last Putin, 
Biden dollar, you know, because pretty soon $100 will be worth a dollar because of the Biden inflation. If you had a bet where Frank Morano is, you got to go where the crack tables are. You got to go. You got to think Atlantic City. It's down the shore. You know, you keep going, Cape May, you know, but come on, Craig, where do you think Frank Morano would be if he took time off with his family? Especially the Borgata, they would give uh, an au pair so that Rachel could go out and enjoy herself. So that Frank, you know, he gets all the chips, uh, you know, free buffet. So he'll lose all of the his board, money. The Bordella. The Bordella. No, no, yeah. no, 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 Frank. No, no, no. Frank, Frank's not a cheater. I got to tell you that. He's not. And by the way, I want to compliment all the WABC All-Stars. Especially Frank Morano, he played a magnificent first base. He had his first baseman's mitt. You know, he always blamed his father. He said, oh, he made me into a first baseman, and I really felt if I had played another position, I could have thrown better. The guy was throwing bullets in the relays that were coming from Emily in right field when these ringers on the NYPD on loan from the Sing Sing softball team were hitting monster shots off the wall at Ferry Hawk Park in Staten Island. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, welcome aboard, Nancy, Mrs. Noah. We ought to be we ought to be sailing on Noah's Ark down to Kentucky. Oh my god, the flooding there. Not only, Nancy, has it taken people's homes and lives and just created so much distress for people, but it's also taken the lives of many pets, too, the floods. And uh, I see there are a number of dogs now that are being offered up for adoption. People are begging them, please, please claim the dogs so we can save their lives uh, as these floods uh, are just causing chaos. Yeah, so um, there's uh, these dogs that are now being rescued from, like, New York City local rescue groups. Uh, what, the one that was featured in the uh, the post just recently, it's called Muddy Paws Rescue. But what they did was they brought in uh, 50 dogs, and at this point all of them have been adopted out or fostered out. So, you know, I think when it comes to, like, adopting the dogs or the pets in general, the same uh, philosophy that the shelters should have as well. You really have to showcase the animals, like let people know. I think a lot of people want to be uh, pet owners, but the more you showcase their story or their history, the better it is for them in terms of adoptability. So I think in this situation, you know, you're really pulling on people's heartstrings. Like they realize these are like homeless dogs. So, I mean, like, it's such a great success right now for for these dogs, thankfully. Well, I've been getting some SOSs from our guardian angels in Las Vegas. They've had four straight days of torrential rains in the middle of the desert, which has never happened before. All kinds of floods. Casinos have been flooded out. The main strip is flooded out. Um, they're not prepared to deal with that kind of flooding, obviously. They've never had that before. And now they're starting to think, okay, how many citizens are in distress because they got a lot of homeless people. Uh, they have a lot of people who come to Vegas because it's a transient area to try to get work. But now they're beginning to think of all the animals 
who may be in danger because they've never had to deal with floods of this magnitude in Vegas. So uh, we may have to put out a call to our many listeners here to help uh, once uh, the rescue operation is uh, underway for dogs and cats in the greater Las Vegas area. Absolutely, yeah. Just to uh, give people information about you know who they can contact if they are looking to adopt and Obviously, these animals are in need for a very specific reason, so absolutely. Now, I understand that many of our listeners uh, responded to your request (laughs) to give a name to one of the four kittens that you recently rescued. Uh, And uh, describe the first kitten that you put up in order to try to get a name, and we we did acquire a name, but how would you describe that first kitten? Well, this is the first kitten that that came into the household. So uh, it's like an orange tabby kitten, uh, and obviously it was it was great that so many people contributed. They gave so many names, uh, and then uh, Peanut is the you know the name of the new cat. So this new uh, newer kitten that we have, this is a, a tabby. Uh, like tabby slash calico cat. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a female, it's very friendly, cute cat. So I get now we're like soliciting names for this cat. Uh, I mean, maybe can relate to Peanut or something independently, but you know, this cat is great. I mean, just super sweet. And this cat is so, I mean, bo- both of them are about like a two and a half, three months old. So they're eating solid food, which is great. But this one is uh, still being bottle-fed, so I think it's a little bit more needy. And we need to come up with a name. So how can people offer their suggestions in our naming contest? They were kind enough. We whittled down all the selections for the first (laughs) kitten, which was Peanut. By the way, Peanut accompanied me recently when I voted in the Republican primary for the governorship. Uh, they wouldn't let Peanut in to the voting location. Remember how the same way they kept Gizmo out when I took Gizmo to vote uh, when uh, both of us were voting in the mayoral election. Correct, correct. Um, and if people want to uh, chime in in terms of the names, if, you, if you're on Facebook, just go to Curtis Leba and you'll see the most recent post is uh, several pictures of the kitten and requesting name suggestions. Yeah, because it's difficult. We have four kittens, only one with a name now. So if we can get the name of the second kitten, then there'll be two more to go, and each of them will have their own individual identity. (laughs) Correct. That's correct. Now, the most often asked question that I get now, Nancy, wherever I go, doesn't matter where I go, is Gizmo. How is Gizmo doing, and how can they stay in touch with Gizmo because they heard the Gizmo has a very active uh, social networking life. Okay, so uh, Gizmo is doing super well. The home that she was adopted into, uh, now there's like a couple, and so both of them are caring for Gizmo. And I think they're looking for a new friend for Gizmo, which is great because maybe one of our uh, recent Kitten rescues would be a good matching for Gizmo. But uh, if you want to keep up to date on what's going on with Gizmo, 
on Twitter, Twitter has uh, uh, Gizmo Sliwa. That's the name of the account. So she has her own Twitter. So if you want to keep up to date on what's going on with her, just go to Gizmo, uh, Gizmo Sliwa on Twitter. Yeah, and in fact, if you do research, if you Google Gizmo, you'll see that at the time of the mayoral election, Gizmo got more attention than I got in my mayoral campaign. <laughs> Gizmo was featured on every late-night show, every comedy show, had a full feature on Gizmo. In fact, the BBC had a full feature on Gizmo where they barely mentioned, oh, by the way, uh, Curtis Lee was running for mayor, too, as a Republican I mean, candidate. It, 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 it's completely understandable to be overshadowed by an adorable kitten. So, yeah, and, yeah don't take it personally. It's just normal. No, I have to, but, oh, Gizmo is really prospering, doing so well. And as you said, it may be time that we have to partner up Gizmo so she has a friend uh, that she can play with and grow with. But... Number one in terms of the issues that I'd like to talk with you uh, tonight, uh, Nancy, is about this canine cruise ship. Now, we've heard of Disney cruises. We've heard of cruises for singles, cruises for the elderly, you know, for senior citizens. But there's a canine cruise ship? Uh, Yes, correct. So, um, So let's see. So. Uh, uh, this past weekend, so what they have is, uh, this was like the first sort of event that occurred where it was one of these uh, boat tours around, you know, New York City where you can see all of the landmarks, but it was specifically geared toward um, people and their dogs, like their pets, right? So uh, a lot of people showed up and this is just it it just got so much great rave reviews like apparently all of these people enjoyed the event all of the dogs were enjoying being on the boat so now they're going to make this a regular thing and it's like so i think circle line is what uh was the cruise ship that was doing this and let's see so positively Perfect Pup Cruise set sail. So that was the name of the thing. So basically, it was just reaching out to the public. I mean, and this is what's so great about having these events. You're really just gauging, oh, is there public interest? There was so much interest in this that now they're going to be planning more and more of these because they were booked up to the max. So, But it just shows you how, you know, engaged people are with their pets like they really do consider them their family their friends so all of a sudden there's like an event that's catering to them coming with their pet like that's such a great idea in new york city well in fact let's open up our phone lines this is the animal welfare hour of wabc you can hear it every sunday night 11 to 12 uh, it causes me to finish my quinella tour I've always broadcasting Curtis on the weekends, but it's the most popular, the most requested, the most engaged of the many hours that I do. So you can engage with us by calling 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what's of interest on what you were just talking about, Nancy, this uh, cruise uh, for canines and their uh, family friends, is that when you ask people, have you ever been on a cruise line tour of uh, Manhattan. You know, the boat leaves like 42nd Street. It goes around the island of Manhattan, you know, up the East River, Harlem River, back to the Hudson. 
Most people in New York City have never been on a cruise line tour or ship unless yeah. it, unless they're taking relatives who are from out of state. Likewise, you ask most New Yorkers, have you ever been to the Empire State Building? No. Have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty? No. Have you ever been to Ellis Island? No. Have you ever been to Governor's Island on the ferry there? No. It's almost as if people who live in the five boroughs don't go to these places. You know, it's funny. It's like so uh, with the Statue of Liberty, I did visit there when I was in elementary school because that was one of the class trips that we had. And the Empire State Building, the only memory I have of that was as a very, very young kid when I think the the Godzilla movie was being promoted and the Empire State Building had a, a big balloon of Godzilla that was grabbing onto the top of the Empire State Building. Like, that's the only memory I have of that. So, Wow. Wow, you were deprived. <laughs> Even though you no, were no, no, but, no, but again, like to your point, it's that I think a lot of these, uh, you know, New York City icons, they're not really promoted in ways where young people are, you know, informed of oh, what's the history of it? Because I think if they knew more of the history, they would be like, oh, I want to see this place. But it's like you know, th- I think that's a problem. There's not enough of the promotion of the importance of a lot of these places. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, this is the one subject that I've talked with people about that has turned them foul, that has made them angry. I don't don't think this guy uh, 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 is at all upset. He's a lightning rod uh, because he is just such a curmudgeon. Gordon Ramsay, the internationally renowned chef, you know, featured on Channel 5 locally. He's got many different uh, chef shows. Can you can you describe what he recently did that has caused so many people to be so angry at him? Well, so, I mean, obviously he his whole notoriety is that he's a chef and he makes all these different meals. And obviously a lot of the meals are... Um, animal based so he was going to so apparently he has like a a farm in his residence and he was going to uh you know basically take whichever one of the lambs like these baby lambs that he was raising for food purposes and utilize them in his upcoming meal so he took a video of himself in the little baby lamb pen where he's asking them, oh, like, which one of you is more tasty? Oh, like, you're going to be my dinner plate. Like, it just totally tone deaf, too. I mean, even if people, again, like, you can't convince everyone to be vegetarian. I mean, I think it's good for people health-wise, but, you know, again, the way that he was just so you know, like tone deaf in terms of the idea that these are like living creatures. It just set everyone off that he actually posted that video. I mean, certainly for good reason, because that's kind of a disturbing sentiment to have. I mean, it's, yeah, that that's what that story's about. He seemed to revel in it. He seemed, yeah, exactly. He exactly. seemed to have glee. 
He seemed to be smiling. It's almost like he was taunting animal lovers by claiming that he couldn't wait to grab that baby lamb and make a stew out of her. You know what? And, and it's like even beyond that, like beyond just like taunting, the a complete lack of empathy for a living being that it's about to meet its demise that I think is really the most disturbing part of that entire video clip. There's something off with this man. Well, I think also he, uh, you know, he was basically uh, saying an F you to all those who believe in a plant-based diet or those who are trying to become vegetarians or vegans or to begin eliminating meats and poultry. I mean, again, but, but again, anyone, I mean, there's, there's, plenty of abilities to uh, swap out meat-based diets with, you know, plant-based diets with, uh, you know, anything that doesn't involve meat. There's, I mean, we already have that, you know, information out there. So you can. Now, you don't want to demonize people because they're eating meat. But I think sometimes you just want to educate people on what they're eating when they're eating meat because a lot of this meat that people are eating is basically corporate farmed meat and it's not the healthiest animal and there's not a lot of oversight into what's going on at these farms. So, you know, down the pipeline when people are ingesting these foods and then becoming sick and ill, there's no way to make the direct connection to the fact that they just ate bad food. That's part of the problem too. So again, like if you want to keep yourself healthy, you know, you need to educate yourself a little more and stop eating this stuff. This stuff is not good. It's not healthy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's Nancy Sliwa who is speaking. She is our animal welfare expert. You can hear her every Sunday from 11 to 12 before I pass over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to Dominic Carter. He will not be the barrier this week because uh, this morning I will be substituting for Frank Morano from 1 to 5. And every morning through this week until Frank Morano loses all of his money shooting craps at the Borgata, and then he has no choice but to return. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, one of the problems we hear people complaining about, Nancy, and they come to us uh, at uh, our guardianangels.org website, the Animal uh, Protection Division tab, is... Barking dogs, whether it's a barking dog that's in a, a, a garage, a basement, an attic, uh, outside in the yard, uh, a barking dog will bark endlessly. First off, what what causes that dog to keep barking, and what well, I mean, re- what remedy <laughs> what remedy do people have because it drives them out of their minds? Okay, so the I would say the the first. Uh, answer to your question is if you have a dog that's barking endlessly, if the person, you know, the pet owner was at home, that wouldn't be happening because it would bother them directly. So I would say that's an indication that the person isn't there at that time period. So they're not really concerned about it. Or if you have someone who maybe puts their dog on the outside, 
and they don't have to hear them. But either way, it's like if if a dog is barking, it would it would indicate that the owner is either not there or not paying attention. So that is a, that is an issue. What though can a resident do when there is a dog who is left out and continues to bark? Should they actually go over and look at the dog? What, what, what advice would you give people? Because they always come up to me, and I don't know what to tell them. Okay, and again, right, this is this is the problem, right? So, uh, like, what you're talking about now, it's like, so this, like, specific story that was recently referenced where this woman living in a place and, you know, the neighbor's dog was consistently barking, and you really can't, and uh, you know, she wasn't able to get any redress from you know talking to the dog's owner. But again, the problem is, if you have a dog, if you're at home, the dog's barking. That means that something's amiss. You're not paying attention. Like so, you shouldn't be a dog owner if your dog is doing that. And then the alternative is like, oh, you're not there, so the dog's barking. So maybe it has a little bit of an issue where it can't be left alone. So maybe you need to get a companion animal so it's not feeling, you know, isolation. Like, so there's things you can do to, you know, you know, address the situation. So I think, I think that's what it is. It's like a question of figuring out that specific thing. So, but yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, having the dog uh, barking all the time, that's, I mean, clearly the dog is in distress, and that really should be the most important, you know, thing being focused on. Like, why is this dog in distress, and it needs to alleviate the distress? Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's our animal welfare edition here at WABC. I noticed that in the opinion section of the old gray lady, the New York Times, all the news that's fit to print. They had this huge article about what it's like to be a cat. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, did it? Yeah, did yeah, a cat... I was referencing the uh, the new video game, uh, the Stray, oh. uh, which is from the vantage point of the outdoor cat. Can you describe for everybody this popular video game, which uh, it seems so many young men and young women are now playing across the nation and across the world, this uh, video game called Stray, what it's oh, about? Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's um, you know, totally like, you know, like at the, at the a forerunner in terms of like people like, you know, downloading and buying this game. But the entire concept of the game is you're playing from the vantage point of a uh, stray, you know, feral cat. And, you know, you're like sort of living the life that they live. So dealing with what they deal with, you know, rats or garbage or being, you know, walking on the street or like all these things. So it's, you know, it's giving insight into a feral cat lifestyle, but also it's like, you know, allowing people to see what, you know, what the cat <laughs> lifestyles about, and it, it's really going over well because again, right? It's, it's such a unique concept. There's this is like probably one of the first of its kind video games that the vantage point is you're a cat, and it's super popular. So I think it speaks to the fact that so many people, re- you know, their sentiment resonates with feral cats. Like they they seem to want to see what oh what is what is a day-to-day lifestyle of a cat like 
and this game is sort of giving uh, people that experience. So, I mean, it, it's great. I think it's great. Well, there are a lot of uh, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who uh, get uh, badgered uh, by children or young adults. Uh, they want them to go out and get them video games. Is this the kind of video game that you would suggest that a parent or a grandparent get for their kids? Uh, because if not, you know, it could be San Andreas' fault or one of these shoot 'em up videos, uh, you know, that are mindless and uh, are very violent. Well, I mean, obviously, I, I certainly agree with this type of game. And I think the fact that, you know, if you can sort of start to uh, interact on any level with animals at a young age. So, for instance, I mean, like I grew up in a household where I had, uh, you know, dogs and cats. Like, so it was normal for me. But. I, you know, I've met people who they never had pets growing up. And, you know, again, I wonder, like, oh, what is that distinction? Like, it's like so pets are foreign to some people if they don't grow up with them. So it's like, again, I, I to me, I always think animals are like this wonderful addition to your household. And it teaches you a lot. And, you know, it the like the entertainment and like that sort of, you know, interaction with them. But you know, again, I, I think it's super important for people to have experience with being a pet owner. But if they can't, okay, maybe you do something like this. At least there's a little bit of a bird's eye view into maybe like, oh, this is what animals go through. Now, let me ask you a question. Something's happening in Florida because not only are people leaving from up here and joining the exodus to Florida, but just the other week we talked about the invasion of the giant snails and how a whole community had to go into lockdown to keep the giant snails out. And now I see there's another story in the Miami Herald about the invasion of wild hogs that have basically kept people locked into this posh Florida town. Can you explain what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so the the basics of the story is that these wild hogs are now running around the neighborhood and it seems like the uh instances it, like where they're aggressive it's more of if uh maybe they have like little uh babies <laughs> like little baby hogs but i mean it, it's just more of like the, them the residents are noticing what's going on so again i'm not sure what the situation was prior to, but obviously, I mean, I don't think that any of these wild animals would be in the neighborhood unless they probably, you know, they just have a need to be there. So whatever, you know, little sliver of land that they're existing on at this point, their population is exceeding that, which means they have to go out of their normal comfort zone including to people's yards. So I think they're more frightened of people than people should be of them. <laughs> but it's just more recognizing a reality. Like, there's an overpopulation. So you have to figure out some plan of action, you know, in that neighborhood where, you know, you're spaying, neutering. You have to do something, um, you know, that limits the population. And, you know, it has to be intelligent, in the way that you approach it, because you can't just 
you know, you, there's no way to get rid of them. They're there. They're like, you know, coexistent. But the reality is they're showing up now on people's properties. So they need to figure out how to do a spay neuter program for them. But it is amazing that not only are people flocking to Florida, but you had these giant snails all of a sudden flocking to Florida, and now these wild dogs. Everybody wants to go to Florida. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, the, the beaches, that's nice. And there are a lot of cats along the beaches in Florida. When you and I were there, a lot of feral cats who actually end up posting up along the beach, and it has kept the rodent and the mouse uh, problem at bay. I mean, we've had so many people who have reached out to us for assistance when, you know, like the feral cats that are taken care of are in danger. And the problem is, like, it's usually like community relations. For some reason, they don't recognize the fact that feral cats have a purpose. So it's not like, oh, these cats are just living outside and creating additional cats. Like when you have a colony, right? This is what, like, you know, when people manage the outdoor cats, they're fixed, right? So they're not having additional kittens. They're getting their shots. Someone's feeding them. Someone's cleaning the area where the food's left. Like this is the most managed, responsible approach you can take to outdoor cats. And when you have the cats in that situation, their natural role falls into place. Like they keep all of, you know, the uh, the rodents and the insects, like everything at bay. So this is their role in life in general. So when the city decides to just, oh, let, let's just do a sweep and take all these cats. Okay, that's great. You're not doing anything. You put them into a shelter and then they euthanize them. And then all of a sudden there's this big empty space and all these rodents and everything come in, and it's like, so now you have, like, you're repeating the cycle. Like, they have to be more intelligent about their approach and also humane in their approach. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We'll be getting to your calls on this, the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, there's two places we could take our Ark to, down in Kentucky where the floods continue, and out to Las Vegas where they've never had floods like this before. Four days straight of incessant downpours that have closed the casinos, that have turned the uh, the drag into just one big running river of water in the middle of the desert. But right now, Nancy, let's go to the phones. First caller is Robert from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bobby. Hi, good evening, Curtis and Nancy. I try to listen to your show every Sunday night. I'd like to maybe name, or suggest a name at least, of the second kitten because I don't use Facebook on the show. And and what name are you suggesting, Rob? Annie, because she's an orphan. Annie. <laughs> well, now, Nancy, will that be uh, placed into consideration? Yeah, absolutely. 
100%. Well, just think, if you went out, Robert, it would be Peanut and Annie, and then we've still got two more kittens to go that Nancy saved. If, and if Nancy hadn't saved them, they would have been destroyed by this point. The animal shelters uh, uh, would have destroyed these four beautiful kittens. Let's go to Terry, who's calling from Pleasant Valley. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Terry. Yes, how do you get rid of the uh, the the uh, sand sandbox? Because one cat, three cats, multiplied by what you got to do. Here's what I want your listeners to hear: you got to put lime on it. If you go, you're going to go out into the world here. Lime dissolves all that stuff. That's how you do it. You mean in the litter box? Yeah, you take the litter and dump it out, and you put the lime on it. And uh, that that breaks it down. If you don't do that, you're going to have a pile of stuff, which I can attribute to you, believe me, 20 years' worth of cat stuff. I never thought about it. But it's like, well, we're up in the boondock, so no one cared. So when it's like, well, I had to rake all that stuff down, it's like nothing broke down. It was like, oh, my God. So you gotta you gotta use lime. Wait, do you mean lime like you buy in a supermarket? It's two dollars for a fifty gallon box. No, it's no, it's not that. It's lime that you, you buy. It's a powder, and don't breathe it either. Oh. It's a uh, it's carcinogen. But, but put it on the bottom of the litter box, okay? Well, you well know, wait, wait, that wait, might so. not be so good for the, the cat. Uh, litter, that litter, you guys. You know, you guys kid around and all that, but you, I got three cats, and it's like, my God, it's like, well, I no, but, but look, like we have cats. all the, all these cats here, and it's like, like with with all the reporters who were covering Curtis when he was running for mayor, if it had smelled anything funny, they would have said that they didn't. So it's like, I know how to keep it clean, but yeah, I definitely don't want to put lime down there. So, but lime is how you get rid of the uh, the. Uh, and uh, all the rest of it. Yeah, well, now, let me, let me ask you. It's on the ground. It's, ne- it's never going to go away. Terry, uh, oh. yeah, well, I saw that. They actually use that in Port-au-Prince and Haiti. Uh, they put that in the latrines, the lime. Uh, you're right about that. But what does that have to do with the commercial we grew up watching, put the lime in the coconut? It's like, you know, we make fun of it. But 20 years, I didn't do that. And I had a pile of uh, cat sand up to my, like a dump truck worth. And it's like, I had to rake all that stuff down myself. It's like, oh, my God. I got to, I got to, look, I'm up for trying that because the few times that I've uh, changed the litter boxes, uh, I've gotten a double hernia. I really have. You know, it's lucky that Nancy... Uh, does the chore of changing the litter. It's like, what, three times a day, Nancy? Yeah. Yeah, so given the few times that you change it, I I think that doesn't give you priority in making the decision, so I'm going to nix that thing. But I like that. Put the lime in the coconut. (laughs) I mean, if it was like limes from a supermarket, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, but actually when I was in Port-au-Prince in Haiti, uh, and that's uh, after the earthquake, and obviously, uh, there were no porta potties. Uh, you know, they don't have uh, the kind of plumbing we have here. They mm. would dig in those latrines, and when it reached a certain point, they were tossing lime on top of it. I mean, it was <laughs> lime hell. That's all I can describe it as. But anyway, let's go from Terry to James, who's calling from Pennsylvania. Your turn to be early on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Jimmy. 
Hello, how are you? Last night there was a possum in the, the trash can making a lot of noise. So I called 911 in Washington County here, and they dispatched me to the game warden. And I said, this is Nurse Package, and I have a wild animal out here. He says, well, it will just eat vegetables. It won't bother the children. I said, oh, thank God. But then the dog was barking, and I heard on a, on a scanner here, and they called the police in a little town. I live in California, Pennsylvania, and the police went right over there and looked to see what was going on. That's what they need to do over there. Call the police. Now, now, hold on a second. I think we would welcome that kind of problem. Now, you're in Washington County. What is that, uh, south of Pittsburgh? Uh, southwest, yeah, down in the corner next to West Virginia, near Wheeling on 70 that runs across the country right there. You were in Charleroi, Pennsylvania with the Guardian Angels when Kevin Miller, KDK Radio, brought you there. Could you remember? Yeah, I was up uh, there in the hill in Pittsburgh and Oakland, which is uh, down the hill. But I will tell you this, James. Do you know what two famous performers were born and raised in Washington, Pennsylvania, Town of 50,000 people, I forget the name of it, uh, and one imitated the other. You know who that is? Bolore at Cannonsburg, Bobby Vinton. Yes, Bobby Vinton followed Perry Como. Perry Como came from there. My mother loved Perry Como because he always wore the sweaters, great singer, had his variety show. Bobby Vinton, the Polish prince, grew up a few blocks away. He wanted to be just like Perry Como. When Perry Como left Washington, Pennsylvania, south of Pittsburgh, and uh, ended up in Long Island, do you know that Bobby Vinton picked up and moved out to Long Island so he could be near his mentor, (laughs) Perry Como? You know, you know, the little town there has turned into a lot of heroin and crack. It needs to be scarred out by the sheriff and the federal agents. That's what's down there. Illegal immigrants and crack and cocaine and heroin in, in that area down where the mill used to be. And it's not good for the children. And so it's not too late to work on things. It's never too late to clean house, is it? No, we went down memory lane. See that, Nancy? I was even there organizing Guardian Angel. He remembers. <laughs> I, I, I love that statement. It's never too late to clean house. KDKA, that's the powerful radio station there. They had me on all the time. They had such severe problems uh, uh, up the hill in uh, Pittsburgh, which is where the University of Pittsburgh is. But they got a, man, they got a hood there. It is bad. Oh, boy. I'm like... I'm transferring, like, uh, into my Western Pennsylvania energy. People out there listening, we we cover all of uh, Pennsylvania, but Western Pennsylvania is so different than Central Pennsylvania and Eastern Pennsylvania. It's like three separate states. Your mother lives in Pennsylvania, right? That's correct, yes. Whereabouts? In Milford. And with all her pets, right? Uh, yes, with, with her dog, Diesel. And with the deers and all the other animals that are frolicking out there, the possums, the rabbits. I mean, it's like uh, Noah's Ark could be out there. And and my brother Joey's out there, too. That's right. But we don't want to talk about the trips you uh, go out there to shoot your AK-47s, do we? (laughs) No, we don't. Uh, We don't want to talk about Nancy Sliwa being uh, Andy Oakley out there where you can do that. They won't let you do it here, though. No, no, they won't. Anyway, let's go to Maria, who's calling from Great Neck. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Maria. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Um, I have a question. We, My neighbor and I take care of uh, a stray cat, 
I think she's pretty old, and she was sick for a few days. She wouldn't eat. And um, we've seen a raccoon in the back, and my neighbor leaves out dry food for the cat um, all the time and water. And I was wondering if maybe the raccoon got into it and maybe gave the stray cat something. Also, she's pretty territorial, and we're worried about her maybe fighting the raccoon. Any advice? Yeah, that's, that's that. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. So, I mean, with having, uh, you know, obviously an outdoor cat, that is something they're going to encounter. So, yeah, unless you're bringing the cat indoors or, you know, somehow secluding it, yeah, that that's going to be a reality. Now, I mean, in terms of uh, whether they're aggressive or not. Now, I know there's a lot of, I mean, raccoons, you know, they're uh, always portrayed as being, you know, very hidden. Oh, they don't, but no, that's not really the case. Like, you know, you can see them. I think they're just looking for food sources. So if the smell of the food is there, I think the raccoon's going to come back because it knows it's a food source. Now, if you're maybe trying to monitor this particular cat, maybe it would be that you would put the food out for like an hour time period because, you know, and then like bring it back in. So this way it's not this open food source. And then, you know, so it's like sort of teaching the behavior, the time period for the outdoor cat. Because, again, unless you're, you know, I think that may be the best sort of way to do it. You know, you're sort of educating the cat on the food time period, like when you're feeding them. But and then this way, because if you keep an open food source, any animal out there is going to, you know, try to come to it. So, I mean, again, without knowing whether or not they're aggressive toward each other, I would definitely say, yeah, just cater it toward the the cat. Do appreciate that, Maria. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. You're trying to be heard here on WABC, Larry. Oh, Larry is abandoned ship. He's jumped no, off no Noah's snores. Ark. No <laughs> snores. He, he's 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 jumped off of Noah's Ark. Let's hope he can swim to shore. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, go go for it, Larry. Go. Okay. Uh, you know, I saw recently. I saw a, a bunch of Mexicans roasting a, a pos- It looked like a possum over a Spitfire right in the middle of the street in Brooklyn. And I, I approached them and I said to them. Uh, I said, what is that? They said, it's a rabbit. I said, where'd you get it from? They said, country, country. You know these, these people don't go to the country. So, I mean, it, and I looked at the thing, and it looked, it looked exactly like a possum. Now, I'm just wondering, is that, are, are possums protected uh, animals because they go after, we brought them here because they go after the rats? I'm just wondering, is that legal what they're doing? Um, okay, so my my answer to you would be, there's probably zero way you could ever report this that it would have any impact. That's kind of the problem. There's a lot of uh, live uh, animal food, poultry markets. Now, I um, like to your question, maybe like what they're doing doesn't sound like it's legitimate. I don't think that this is any animal that's on the uh, the food market that would have been sold through a store and. I mean, again, but the point is, like, what can you do to sort of change that circumstance if you report it? 
I mean, I, I, the idea is that I'm probably not going to do much about it. I mean, I think there's just a lot of other ways that, you know, you have to sort of try to help people figure out, like, see the light and what's wrong with these situations. Because, unfortunately, this. I mean, think about what happens with people. There's not a lot of prosecution on what they're doing. With animals, it's it's totally thrown to the side. So a lot of the advancements, in my opinion, about um, you know any animal rights, it's really where people are able to, you know, talk to people and speak to people and really come to like that sort of arrangement. Like I think there's a lot of people who don't necessarily recognize all of these negative things. So. Sometimes, again, when you see something like this, I mean, again, it, it, like if there's a cultural thing, if there's a reason why they're doing it, but, you know, if you start talking to people, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, ability to sort of, you know, influence the discussion. But in terms of calling any local authorities, I mean, even if they did react, I don't think it would be anything that would carry the day. So I, I think, again, I think it's a much more of a, you know, sort of person-to-person type of conversation that might really make a difference. Well, we've had uh, a number of times, you and I, we've checked on uh, cat colonies in Queens and Brooklyn, and we've seen intermingling between feral cats, raccoons, and possums. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and again, you would think, like, intuitively, oh, they're going to be aggressive toward one another, but they're not. I think by virtue of their situation, they're both animals that really weren't intended to proliferate in New York City streets, but here they are, and there's really no space for them to be, so they've become friends. Like, they're not going to attack each other if they can eat peacefully at the same food dish. Like, that's not happening. Anyway, uh, Nancy, as we uh, draw this segment of the Animal Welfare Edition to a close, if people have further questions for you or want to contact you with information about animal-related issues, dogs or cats or other animals, how can they do that? Uh, Well, uh, you can visit uh, guardianangels.org and... But if you want to email me directly, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. And again, if they would like to uh, suggest a name for the second of the four kittens, the first one, (laughs) they helped to choose uh, the name Peanut. Uh, How can they uh, get their suggestion to you? They can go to your Facebook page. It's like if you type in Curtis Lewa, pulls up your Facebook page and chime in. When we come back. He'll be chiming in, Dominic Carter, who's normally the barrier between me and the the Mameluke, Frank Morano, but he's uh, done the bird. He'll be gone all week, and guess what? I'm like a Pac-Man. You give me an opportunity to take an inch, and I'll take a mile even more. And so I'll be doing the Frank Morano show. That's right. Monday through Friday this week from 1 to 5 in the morning. And you give me that real estate, and like a Pac-Man... I'm going to take it all up. WABC. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Well, well. 
Formerly, you're the barrier between me and Frank Morano, but now you're the barrier between me and me. Because when you're finished, Dominic, I'll be back again. But I want everyone to know that as we, uh, the WABC softball team, were preparing to play the NYPD at uh, Ferryhawk uh, Stadium in the north shore of Staten Island, that uh, you were warming me up. Uh, in fact, I pitched the first inning. And you saw those four ringers. It looked like they were on loan from the <laughs> Sing Sing uh, prison uh, softball team. First of all, they had no sense of humor. When I asked the female cops, can I see your shield, what precinct, they were, had no problem explaining who they were and what precinct. But there were four guys there. You saw they were like monsters. Yes, yes. They wouldn't show me their shields. They said it was none of my business. And they hit. Like there was no tomorrow, because what else are you going to do in prison but play softball all day in the yard at Sing Sing? And uh, you were calling a great game. It's just um, every time I grooved it where you wanted, they were hitting it out of the park. Well, one, I didn't know that you could pitch so well. I didn't know that, for real. you got a sweet spot for throwing strikes. Well. And that's a talent. Remember, I can only throw underhanded. I've broken my shoulder so many times, I can't throw overhanded. And that's the bone that I have with you. You're so competitive. Matt, let me tell you what this man does at the game, right? I'm sure he didn't mention this. So he's he moves from pitcher to second base. Guy whacks it, I think, it out to the, to the right field. Curtis is the cutoff man at second base. They throw the ball to Curtis. Now, this is softball for fun. This guy dives backwards towards the base to get to the base before the runner and injures his shoulder. Wow, in a softball game. In a softball game. Competitive. Yeah, I wasn't going to let the prison (laughs) softball team from Sing Sing beat us. You know, NYPD, those four guys were not. Those were ringers, although... Dominic was calling a great game. He was wearing the tools of ignorance as the catcher behind the plate. I was trying to go inside on these guys. And I'm telling you, this one guy hit that clincher so far. Yes. It went across the Arthur Kill to kill Van Cull. I think it's still going. But, you know, I, hey, Matt, I give him credit because most people, when you, we did have one injury, but most people, when you pitch and you haven't played in a while, you got to be careful because you can get a line drive straight back to the mound. Oh, yeah. And this guy was throwing it to him like, just hit it. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. Wow. And it was working until they smacked it out into the outfield. And then uh... then all of a sudden, uh, Capo de Tutti, our president, Chad Lopez, said, uh, I'm coming in. I'm pitching the rest of the game. You go to second base. I said, he wanted me to play third. I can't throw from third because I can't throw overhand. Second base, they needed to put a triage unit there. They needed to have an EMT and an ambulance there. It was the DMZ zone. Yes. So here it is. I dislocate my shoulder, and I tried to gut it out for two innings, but then you saw I had to run off the field. I was in pain. They say nobody cries in baseball. I was crying from the pain. So I end up going into the dugout of the Lancaster Amish uh, who were all Dominican. I didn't know that there were so many Amish who were Dominicans. And they were speaking to me in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. You know, they thought, uh, no mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, please. And I get up after a few minutes, and one of these prison uh, prisoners from Sing Sing, pretending to be an NYPD, hits a shot. 
a shot, line drive. And the guy who took my place at second base was the person who won the contest to be our first base coach. And it hit him in the schnoz. And it was Mount Mount Vesuvius erupting out of his nose. He spit out two teeth. He was on the ground. Yeah, Yeah. they had to stop the game. Wow. Both teams were on their knees saying their Hail Marys and Our Fathers. For the guy, we thought he was, like, out for good. Yeah, that's how bad it was. And then after, like, ten minutes, the guy gets up. He's spitting out teeth and blood. And he goes to John Katsimatidis. Gee, when are we going to do this again? When are we going to do this again? <laughs> He's ready. He his, loved it. His wife grabbed him, kissed him. Uh, I, don't kiss him on the mouth. You know, it's like, <laughs> God, you know. But it was an amazing, amazing game. I still, I think it needs to be put under review. I do not believe that those four Gabons, those four giants, were police officers. They wouldn't show me their shield. They wouldn't tell me what precinct they worked in. And I'm telling you, Sing Sing does have a softball team right outside where the execution chamber used to be, old Sparky. And I'll bet you those guys play on the softball team for Sing Sing and we're on loan. But why Why do you dive back to second base to, to just get one out? I mean, one, one out. Yeah, look, one out leads to two outs to three. You know, we, we, we were pumped up. You know, these guys. For a while. We really were. They had we their had ringers. Yeah. I mean, we had two ringers. I didn't even recognize who two of these guys were. <laughs> two guys say, hey, Curtis. I said, who are you? Oh, well, we work at WABC. He said, I never saw you before in my life. Oh, no, we see you, but you probably don't see us. What is your job situation? They say, don't ask us about our jobs. We're just here. Just be happy we're here. And those guys were hitting bombs yes. for us. But we scored the first run, so yes. at least we did that. Yes, and uh, notice the Mama Luke, your friend, Frank Morano. Oh, here we go. Came with his first baseman's mitt. You know, he's complained before that his father, Carmine, who raised them to be a first baseman, oh, I wish he didn't put me in first because I could have <laughs> learned to throw better. That guy was throwing bullets from the outfield on yes. the relay from Emily. Emily, our lawyer, our yes. attorney here. She's uh, very competitive. She's yes, very yes. good. So she was the right fielder. These guys are hitting bombs. She goes back. She retrieves it. Frank goes out there from first base. He's relaying the throw to me at second base. And by then, I couldn't even lift my arms. So it's like hitting me in the head. And people are wondering, what's wrong with that guy? Does he have alligator arms? Can he lift his glove? But but it's a blessing that that you had to be removed from the game because that line drive would have come directly at your face. You're damn right. With your history, it should have been for you. <laughs> it should have been for it, you. It it was one of these shots that you would expect the Yankees to handle. By the way, Dominic Carter, yesterday was old timers game at Yankee Stadium, you know, mm-hmm. all the they had 24 older guardian, excuse me, not guardian angels, but Yankees there, and they didn't play a game. The fans were so upset, they wouldn't play a game. Why no, not? No Derek Jeter, no Mariano Rivera, you know, Mr. Big Stuff, who do you think you are? You're too busy to come to old-timers game. But a lot of the old-timers were not vaccinated. Ah. So they wouldn't let them play. Oh, but Judge, we know he wasn't vaccinated. They certainly let him play. Oh, you don't want Mr. MVP not to play? Very selective, the Yankees. 
and the fans were upset. One thing I have to say about you, Dominic, you were a great catcher. You got up there. You took your swings. You made your family proud. Your wife was there. Your son was there. And I said, yeah, that's a stand-up guy. This man wore the tools of ignorance better than anybody I've ever seen. Roy Campanella, <laughs> you had nothing on Dominic Carter. Oh, boy. Love you, man. Love you. No, no, I don't go that way. 